the Triathlon Show 306. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview five different coaches to get a broad perspective on one important topic, workout fueling. Each of the coaches will answer basically the same question centered around the topic of workout fueling. And the whole idea of this is that you can get uh, you can get a sense of the commonalities, but also the nuances and differences in thinking around workout fueling. And at the end of the episode, I will give you my personal thinking, not in detail, but as a rapid fire overview. So the coaches I'm going to talk to today are all top class coaches of top class athletes. They are highly respected generally and by myself. They've each been on that triathlon show before and I'll of course link to all of those previous episodes in the episode description and the show notes. And they are Frank Jakobsen from Denmark, Wellberg from Canada living in New Zealand, Colin Moore from the United States, Ryan Bolton also from the United States and Björn Kafka from Germany. And you will hear them in that order right after we thank our sponsors. First, we have precision hydration that creates electrolyte products that you can match to how you sweat and fueling products that make it easy for you to hit your numbers. Each serving contains 30 grams of carbohydrate. When it comes to electrolytes and sodium in particular, remember that we all have different sweat rates and we also have very different sweat sodium concentrations. For example, I personally lose more than 2000 milligrams of sodium per liter of sweat, which is a lot. And uh, on the bike, for example, in a race, I sweat around 1.5 liters per hour, uh, a bit depending on the environmental conditions, of course. And my aim is generally to replace around 70% of the sodium that I lose, which means that I would need to consume at least 4,200 milligrams of sodium just on the bike in a 7.3 race and more so depending on how fast or slow, the, well, depending on how slow the course is, that is. On the other hand, somebody who loses 500 milligrams per liter of sweat, 500 milligrams of sodium, that is, and sweats at a rate of 0.8 liters per hour, they would need to replace about eight times less than I would for the same duration out on the course. So knowing your individual numbers is crucial, and Precision Hydration's product and free online sweat test or advanced in-person sweat tests make it easy for you to figure out what you should do when it comes to electrolytes. You can use the promo code DEATTRAFFLONSHOW15 to get 15% off your first order of electrolytes or energy products on precisionhydration.com. And thank you to Senate. The Senate Indoor Swim Trainer is a swim training tool that you can use at home, allowing you to improve your technique, work on power and stamina, and save time and stay consistent. Consistency is uh, crucially important, but sometimes it is tough to find the time to get to the pool. It is time-consuming. So to have an efficient way to get in uh, quick but effective sessions at home is invaluable. With the Senate Swim Trainer, you can do just do just that. And in addition, you can use it to do things like swim, bike, brick workouts, which are difficult to do otherwise, and to work on perfect core activations and streamline with the help of the built-in instability element of the swim bench. The Senate Swim Trainer also does not take up a lot of space. It is inflatable, in fact, so it can you can store it very small and neat. And it is very affordable, and even more so with a 20% discount code that you can get on zenateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, let's get into interview number one with coach Frank Jakobsen, 
who coaches athletes such as Jesper Svensson, Sara Svensk, and has worked with uh, Craig Alexander when he was winning world titles. And importantly, he's also involved in the scientific triathlon training camp in Mallorca, but more on that at the end of this episode. But either way, Frank is a great coach working with uh, many professional athletes, tons of experience, so it will be interesting to hear what he has to say. I'm here with Frank Jakobsen to discuss workout fueling. Welcome to the podcast, Frank. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you for inviting me to the world's best triathlon podcast. It's my pleasure. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, it's it will be really interesting to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, I know that you have done a lot of work uh, and uh, have a lot of experience with workout fueling that we'll discuss. So uh, do you yeah. want to just start by summarizing some general thoughts and recommendations that you have on this topic? Uh, yeah, I can do that. I, uh, okay, let's see <laughs> what's the general thoughts on this. Yeah, well, the general thoughts I think is actually good to that's a good question because that that's the foundation of the decisions you make on your thing. So um, a very general answer must be, let me phrase it right. Start by understanding what's, what's your weakness and your strength in the sport uh, compared to your goals. Then decide what you want to do, what, what you want to develop of these strength and weaknesses some people say that train to your you know your weakness and raise on your strength like okay but decide it you know make a good evaluation of it then decide what you want to do then when you have decided what you want to develop for the coming season or or race season or like that then try to understand how you're going to do that specifically how are you actually going to develop run speed or endurance on the bike or strength or whatever um and then when you have that, then you put on the nutrition as a supporting factor towards what you are developing and how you are developing it. Can you give some example uh, of that in practice? Uh, maybe a, a hypothetical athlete or, or an actual case study, like how, how you look at somebody that you've coached and what they needed to develop and how the nutrition then uh, fell into place based on knowledge of, of that uh, those strengths and weaknesses um, well you can say just truth thinking examples e easy examples are if you are a athlete who wants to who are running who are very good on the swim uh, very strong on the bike and you're running too slow because of the fact that you're simply too big I mean you do even you know let's say a little bit overweight whatever then you would want to lose weight and lo losing weight, you want to lose, let's say, three kilos of fat of your weight. Okay, that is a specific weakness that comes out in the run specially. And you decide that that's what I'm going to do. And now you find out how am I going to do it. And obviously, nutrition plays a huge part in that uh, <laughs> development. And then you have to, you know, adjust your nutrition and your training to fit so that over three months or six months or whatever you will lose three to five kilos of fat so that's obvious now if you take a person and say that well i'm really skinny 
and I am, I'm sinking in the water because I have so low body fat and I'm not strong enough on the bike. I can bike 90K, but I can't bike 180. And I, I simply don't have enough endurance. And when I train long, I don't, you know, I forget to eat. And maybe that's why I'm too skinny. And, and then on the run, I all the time get injured because I have so low fat percentage and I'm pressing my body so much. So I get small injuries all the time. Okay. You want to get more robust. You want to get more resilient and like that. And you actually still want to do Ironman. Okay. Good. So I, I need to put on some muscle uh, to my weight. I need to build muscle and again. So you have defined that what what is a little bit your problem, and then again you put on your your training nutrition as a as a help to how you are going to train. And without thinking the nutrition into it, your results will not uh, be the same. Hmm. So so these are two very simple, of course. Yes, and, and would you say in these two examples that the Would the differences be very big between how they fuel in the workouts or would it be bigger outside of the workouts in the rest of their day-to-day or would it be both? So the one who should lose weight, for instance, both the training itself would be different for a given period of the year. So you also have to think in the periodization of the year. So if you take 12 months, you're of course not going to. What I see sometimes when we, if we talk about losing weight, it's now we went there. I don't know why I went there, but because it's actually not that interesting, but it's a very easy example because it, many people think of it. So, but, but the, I see people six weeks or two months before a race saying that, yeah, and I also just want to lose a little bit of weight. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, two months before an Ironman race, you are just entering the two times three weeks block. That is the most grueling training, preparing you for this one-day event. If you have not lost weight by this time, this is not the time to lose weight. You know, done, done deal. You might lose half a kilo maximum, one kilo during this six weeks final preparation period but if you're losing more than that you are not able to sustain the training and you risk getting sick or injured you know so 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 losing fat as weight has to be put into the periodization and that the training in that period is also different than than the, the training the last two months leading into an ironman for my for my take anyway mm. Yeah, so when you're in a heavy block of training, it would be very, very similar for these two athletes. But in the maybe in the base training phase or so in the winter, you they they might feel very very differently. Even even the training might be might be very different. Uh, so that makes sense. We run the so we run camps, open camps like kind of for, for groups, and like this in Mallorca for three months every spring. And it's a it's a common thing that people come down and they actually think that okay, now I'm here and I actually booked two weeks instead of one. So I'm going to train a lot these two weeks. And if I talk with them at the dinner table in the evening, it's, 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 a, it's a general thing. It's it's common to hear people say, yeah, I really want to, you know, I trained well, but now I really want to get fit. And I also want to lose a couple of kilos, you know. And they say it in one sentence, you know, like I'm going to train really hard and I'm also going to lose weight. And I just tell them straight out, forget the last part, my friend, because With that in mind, when you are on the bike, you're not going to eat enough. When you come to the dinner table in the evening, you're so hungry, then you are going to eat. And then next day, and I see people who actually go to the dessert table and they take cake and they take everything because they're so hungry if they've been training six hours in the day. So they eat cake. And then in their mind, the next day, they eat less when they go for another six-hour ride in the mountains. They eat less uh, uh, nutrition, they take less nutrition on the bike because they are thinking that, oh, but the cake I ate yesterday, I got a burn because I also wanted to lose weight on this camp. And then you start to be counterproductive for, for, for training stimulus because 
if you want to get build on your endurance, the last two hours and the six-hour ride is determining a lot of that. Now, if you're running lower, 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 lower on glycogen in your body to, to push the power into the pedals and you're just pushing on fat, well, fat is three times slower to turn into energy as, as uh, carbohydrates. And that means you can only sustain a certain pace. You will drop in pace and power output on the bike. And that means you are not pressing so much, so you're not pressing your muscles so much. Does it make sense? I mean, not absolutely really fast. Yeah, yep. you, you understand it. So, so, so this is the point is that you make up your mind. What is it I'm trying to achieve? And how is my nutrition supporting that goal? You know, I yep. want to get really strong and build my endurance on the bike. Okay, you're going to go for long rides. Well, my friend, the first three hours of a six-hour ride, if you eat much too little carbohydrates and like that, then you're not able to hold a high power output on the last two, three hours. That means you get less training stimulus. You feel that you are really fighting and you come home and say, oh, fuck, I did a good train because I really was struggling the last two hours, but I made it. And you look at your power. Your power is going to tell you what you put. Your mind tells you that you, you really pushed, but your power is low. And that's because you are fighting to push with, with low energy, low fast energy in your body. You know? So, so it, it's, you're, you're, you're a little bit fooling yourself. But that is if your goal is to push and build endurance and like that. Yeah. Well, let's stick with that goal because I agree. I think that's that's more interesting, <laughs> the, yeah. the building yeah. endurance, building fitness rather than losing weight. Uh, so, and, and let's here in this example also say that, yeah, we are maybe in the final two months out from whatever a big race it might be a circle three or an ironman it doesn't really matter but it, you're not in january you're in you're in a phase where your the training is important and uh, geared yeah. towards your racing uh yeah. so so in that situation do you have general recommendations around how much to consume in different types of workouts how much carbohydrates to to consume per hour for example I mean, it's it's a little bit again uh, the purpose. If the purpose is to get ready for the race, you are happy with your weight. Then there's the last thing is that in the race, of course, we we also want to be able to, especially in an Ironman race, we are running into trouble on on the nutrition because normally athletes they burn such a big amount of of carbohydrates from the muscles and the liver and what you are taking in that you actually get close to the running out what does it mean when you run out that you boink no that's not what it means it means that you run out of the 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 glycose sitting in your muscle fibers and those who are most accessible for your to get into your mitochondria and move your body and so forth so we also want to be efficient at race pace so it's a really difficult balance because you want to be able to use fat as fuel is three times more valuable. It has a, a multiple three compared to, to carbohydrates in, in the speed that it's been burned. So it means sugar will burn at rate 100. Well, then it takes 300 seconds to, to move the fat into the cell. But we are moving pretty slow in an Ironman, so fat is a good fuel. If we are talking Olympic race, it's different. But if we talk long distance, especially Ironman, you actually want to use fat as an energy source. You are using it, but you. So my point is, if you add your race pace on your bike and you're using eighty percent of your fuel is coming from sugar, well, if you during training can alter that, and then seventy percent of carbs or even sixty percent of your fuel at race pace on the bike comes from carbohydrates, 
that means that you have to digest le- less into your body through your stomach and your digestive system, which is really hard to do during the race. And you're also using less of the carbohydrates that you have in the liver and in your muscle fibers from the start of the race. This means that you get further on the run before you start to run in trouble and you might even get to the finish line. So what you want to do is you want to get to the finish line without getting into trouble and running out of carbohydrates, sugar, glucose, whatever you want to call it, the fastest energy source for moving uh, and thereby you want to be efficient in fat burning so we are trying to balance being teaching the body to use fat and at the same time using enough energy in training to stimulate the body to press the muscular system and the whole system enough to be more fit and strong does that make sense it, it makes sense yeah it, it makes great great sense uh in theory uh could you give a an example of what that might then look like in terms of uh, a long ride for example and how much somebody might might consume uh, and of course it depends but you can give an example of what this uh, what this athlete kind of is like okay now now we measure this athlete so we take this athlete and we measure the person and we say okay you want to do 220 watts on your ironman pace or you want to do 280 or you want to do 300 now we're getting up into the pro uh, so let's take the e- easy one we take an age group you want to do 220 okay now we put him in a lab and we measure him with a good equipment that measures the two gases and we find out okay at 220 80 percent of your energy source is carbohydrates Is that high? Yeah, that's pretty high. Uh, So there's two ways. Either you adjust your goal of how much you want to put in the pedals and go to 200. We measure you again. And at 200 watts, you're spending 70% of your fuel is coming from sugar. Okay. But you say, well, to be competitive, I have to do 220. Okay. So we keep 220 and you can actually push 220 and you can do it in the race. Okay. Now we start saying that, well, you're strong enough to push 220 but you are going to run out of of, uh, of carbohydrates like again, during the run. If you do this on the bike and you run at this pace, you're simply going to run out of energy source of carbohydrates. You, you're going to go low on it, so low that it will have an impact on your pace. Okay. Now, during a week, we will tell you to bike 180K, taking everything from 60 to 120 grams of carbohydrate, depending how big the person is. How much is he actually burning? You know, so we will train from 60 up to 120 grams, depending on what he needs, you know, and how much can he take and what kind of energy. And other days in the week, one or two days, we might say, okay, now you're going to bike three hours without energy. You know, you're just going to bike at race pace three hours and you are then forcing your body to, to take in fat as a source in the last, let's say, probably one and a half hour of that ride. We are pressing your system to use fat because you're going to run out of, of carbohydrates and glycogen. So you, we will force you to use fat. That is, that is training the body's metabolism to what source it's using at what pace. Uh, you can also tell a person to go six hours and then the, the person will have a hell of a time. It's really hard like that, but it, you will train. Then you can go into the, what we call the fat, fat max zone area and say, okay, you're going to ride at this pace and you're still not, you're still going to do it without taking any carburetors during the morning and even during the whole ride. So then you get more efficient in using fat. If you do that for a month, you can alter from, let's say, 80 to 70%, depending what you eat outside and inside and like that. And and how many times how many times per week? So is it would you do it one time per week at race pace and one time at fat max, or 
does it, how many times roughly per week would you do that sort of uh, restricted carbohydrate training? That I would do if it's uh, depending if it's a girl or a man. If it's a girl, I would be very careful with it. If it's a man, and the number is bad, I mean, like the person is really depending off of carbohydrates to do race pace, then we would probably in a period force it a little bit more. But it depends what period it is also. Uh, so women maybe not even do it uh, at least very very carefully. Uh, injury history to look at that so what happens when you do it is that you're burning fat instead of carbohydrates and when you burn fat you have a multiple of three in oxygen uh, uh, delivery so you need three times the amount of oxygen to to burn fat as burning carbohydrates and that means that you make uh, what we call oxidative stress inside the, the whole environment in your body and in the muscle fibers and everywhere it means that you are you, you're you're getting lower on it's hard to get enough oxygen to keep the pace just burning fat and oxidative stress comes out in the end product of, of free radicals which if you have too much of it like that over time you build a risk of of inflammation or irritation and, and injuries and like that so you have to have that in mind that some people they go even for this really radical one with ketogenic state where the body starts to alter what it's using for energy and it's a kind of keto. And, and well, my experience with it is, is absolute disastrous uh, because it, the general rule about that one is that you would per day get maximum 50 grams of carbohydrates in total during the day. Everything else you eat is fat and thereby you're really altering the body's metabolism. And that means on race day you will then be able to use at race pace 70%, 60% of your energy in theory should then come from fat. It's it's a it's a stretch for me. I to, the numbers I have seen don't add up and it puts a, a huge stress on your body. And if you do it for a long time, what I see is that people actually lose the general uh, absolute power of, of especially on the bike, uh, they simply start to lose power. The, the, the threshold starts to drop and that means the whole system is is dropping so you'll be really efficient at race pace on an Ironman but uh, but as a as a training stimulus your metabolism is optimized for endurance but but as a training stimulus it's really hard to get to work so so the one way you go fully in and try to get a ketogenic state of metabolism in your body and like that that's that I that I don't agree on at all so we use it just some days for some people and sometimes we even use let's say a six hour ride where the first three or four hours we actually do it. And then you, you start to, to add uh, carbohydrates so that at the end where you get a stimulus of the muscle endurance, you actually have uh, energy in your body that you can press the, the power and the speed on your bike so that you get both stimulus. You get the fat burning optimization in the first three, four hours. Well, after two hours, one and a half, two hours. And then you get a window where you're, you're working on that. And then you start to use sugar so that you're not just sitting and hanging the last two hours on the bike and really not producing any work. Um, this we have seen some results with for some and, and for some people, let's say less good results. So, but it's a balance and it all comes back to the one that if you do too much and too radical of these things, then for me, the results are bad. Uh, mm. when you are trying to force your fat burning ability too hard then a lot of other things starts to go wrong in my opinion yeah what about uh so let's say we have a either an age group that trains 
a lot like at a very high level like they train 15 mm-hmm. hours or more or we have a pro athlete that might train 20 25 30 hours in a training camp week and uh, yeah. and and you you have maybe a key six hour ride and during that maybe you do your race based training as you said 60 to 120 grams so then you have your maybe your fat uh metabolism ride where you do three hours without fueling what about the rest of the of the training like you have your bread and butter your 90 minute run your two hour endurance ride those sorts of things well, what are your recommendations for them they're not necessarily about race pace or about uh, or about fat burning per se directly uh, indirectly perhaps but but what 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 would you say that what would your fueling recommendations be for those types of workouts that are long enough that that they might be candidates for fueling if you're in a if you're in, in in big blocks of training then in general we are fueling pretty high in everything hmm. uh, and that has something to do with that your metabolism simply goes high and stays high in that period it's not like okay on an easy day my metabolism is very low and then next day my so, so as you're as you're stressing your body with let's say 30 hours of training then then your metabolism is high and you're to repair your body after and like that and the thing is that we know from clever people in in nutrition and science that when you empty your body if you come back from the ride and you're empty you run yourself the the, the typical one is the one where you know you you filled up and then okay now ah there's a gasoline say it's too early well i don't go in there you know well let's just go the last piece do you have enough and like yeah i have a little bit of water left and do you have any energy no and people sit and start to share gels and like that you know everybody's running low and they're just like, okay, let's hunker up and get home, you know. So for one hour, they're just really running themselves into the ground. There is something cool about that, but it's absolutely not productive for for the next period of the training block, you know. And especially if you're on a camp, we, we know that it stresses the immune system highly if you empty yourself. And the recover time is, is prolonged highly if you are emptying yourself during during the training and next day you're training again or maybe it's a morning bike and then in the afternoon you have a run it's it's, it's counterproductive it's very simple mm. that's proven again and again so it's just keep fueling keep fueling and if you're anyway training for an ironman and you are doing race pace a lot of a good amount of your energy is coming from fat already you know then you can twist it a little and like that you know but training in zone two and like that even zone low zone two and into zone one we we use a five zone you know like really yep. easy so to ironman half ironman then threshold and then vo2 max to make it simple so if you're in the zone three two and one it's all aerobic you have oxygen at your disposal everything is fine it's just depending as we started with what is what is it you're trying to develop if it's fitness strength endurance then load up i mean just keep it coming then you can keep it coming like, okay, some people are like, I should be jealous and like that. No, it's cool. If you want to eat a cashew honey or, you know, you bake your own rice cakes from home, I'm all for that. You know, it's cool. It's it, the more clean carbs and like that, but you can't, you have to get enough energy. That, that's just key, you know, to sustain yep. the training and the recovery most of all. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. I was going to ask you what what things you should consume. So, but you already kind of answered that that it, it can be can be what you want. Like it doesn't have to be uh, gels always or sports drink. It can you can make your rice cakes and and so on. Um, so then that leaves one more question, which is uh, what are your thoughts on pre and specific specifically pre and post workout fueling? And I think in particular post workout fueling might be uh, the most interesting one. But uh, but yeah, let me know what you think about these. 
I think that pre-workout fueling is, is just eat your food, you know, mm. like just eat eat your breakfast and go. Uh, I, a lot of people swim, like if you live in towns and like that, they drive and then because pools are situated somewhere, then you actually go, you swim very early and then you go to work. Uh, if you have a, a technical swim session or if you have like, you know, yes, technical and, and to zone two and like distance swim and like that, up to an hour, you should be able to make it on your your current state in your body and like that. But of course, I mean, there are these famous examples of, of you know, like don't don't take energy to the pool and you don't get energy in the race and like that. It's against the total, for me, it's just nonsense. It's just like you're training, for Christ's sake. You know, like it's a training session. You're going to work after. You have a training session in the afternoon. You're not racing. You're training. So sustain your body and, and give it the energy. If you have a high-intensity session, let's say, I don't know, let's say you have 10 times 400 parted into like progressive one to three. That's solid. Okay. And number three is really at maximum, like hitting five minutes or like that, you know, for a good swimmer. Okay. Let's work on this one. You get into halfway and you start to feel, I can't keep it. Like if you can't keep it because it's your endurance and your muscle strength, that's fine. You know, then you just taper it down and then give the times or the rest time. So you work on that, you know. But if I'm on deck and seeing that somebody that I know have the capacity, they start to struggle. Then I'm thinking, what did you do yesterday or two days before even? You know, what, what was your last 48 hours of training? Did you sleep well last night? That's my checkpoints. And then most of all, are you getting any energy? What did you eat? Oh, I didn't eat. I can't, I can't eat when I'm swimming. You know, most of us don't want to do that, you know, because it, it's, it's not comfortable when we are horizontal. But it's like, well, you're running out of carbohydrates and you're supposed to swim max. If you're swimming max, I can tell you, if you're pounding your 100 meters, one, 98 to 100% of your, your energy is sugar. It's carbohydrates. And if you're running low on carbohydrates, your, your energy is not sustaining the effort asked into your body. Your muscles are ready for it, but they're not getting the fuel. They're not getting the gasoline. So... You know, that's as simple as that. And you're not getting out of the swim session what you could if you sustained into your body the energy to push your muscle and your breathing and your blood system to perform. If you're running low on energy at a session where you need energy, then you're not getting out of training what you could get out of it. It's as simple as that. So not bringing energy to the swim if you have a really hard swim, that's just idiotic, you know, like... That's yep. that's as simple as that, you know. I don't, I can't say it in a mile away. Or the same on the bike. If you go out and you have five times eight minutes at threshold, and halfway through you start to have, you know, oh, I didn't eat enough. I'm running out of energy. Okay, well, just alter your power because at threshold you are burning a one hundred percent carbohydrates. You're not using fat at threshold. It's the definition for Christ's sake. At threshold, it's a one hundred percent fuel injection of sugar of of carbohydrates turned into glucose into atp whatever the process is it's sugar it's not fat you're not using fat at threshold period it's 100 you just look the numbers in the test and that's how it is and some people they actually think that there's something wrong with them it's not you run out the sugar level in your body starts to run down you cannot do five times eight threshold you're going to lose the last two and then you miss this this the training stimulus of your muscular and your breathing and your blood system of the threshold but because you didn't fuel right not because your body couldn't your body might be able to do it but you can't yeah no those are all great tips i, I would say regarding the swimming and eating before or not this is just my personal experience but yeah. i actually find that it's worth it to 
just wake up a little bit earlier and take my time to have a have a good breakfast uh yeah. before the swim because i even feel that i just have time to wake up properly and i don't like to head yeah, to the yeah. pool and feel like i'm still asleep so so having exactly. that i realize that yeah. for some people if you swim even earlier then it might really be a different thing but but yeah. when swimming at 6 15 for example i have no problem getting up at five no. having breakfast and and having getting a good time to to really wake up and so and and in terms of comfort uh in gi comfort or discomfort i think that that's something that for most people is is trainable like i just learned to to be able to uh, to tolerate that breakfast even a reasonably normal is normally sized breakfast before swimming and it's no problem at all these days anymore it's a good way it's like okay i want to eat before okay then get up before and then i might feel a little bit when i'm swimming but when it comes i tell from my head i just say forget it i'm fine you know let's go i I knew this would maybe give a little bit the feeling of a full stomach when i'm swimming but i'm fine let's go you know it's my point is just that there are some rhythms and like that where we easily make the mistake and the mistake when people get into the car and they have sent the kids to down to the school, they drop them off and then they're driving and then they're like, I'm going to the pool now. And then they are like, oh, okay. So then I, I pull out this energy bar as I'm sitting in the car, but then you eat it. And then there's at least 20 minutes before you jump into the water. That's not productive either. You have to wait, just get in the pool, start to swim and then have a gel or energy in your drink or like that. And because some people are saying that, no, no, it shouldn't do that. What's the, what's the functional thing of that? It's not functional. It's just not. And, and it's not functional because that's how the body works. It's not my opinion. It's how it's defined that the body works like this. You want to swim really, really hard. You are using 100% sugar threshold. On run, it's the same. I like that. So, you know, you don't, you for sure don't want it like half an hour before you hit the, the swimming pool area, if that's how long you have to the pool before you get in. If you're sitting and drinking a Coca Cola because you think, oh, now I'm getting the sugar I need. No, no, no. That's the huge mistake you can do because the body is just going to throw a lot of things around in your body as you're sitting driving the car. For instance, insulin in huge amount. Now, when you jump in the pool, you have an unbalance in your hormones that that's not going to aid you. You want to get to the pool either having a little bit of good breakfast like you, or you want to bring energy. If you have a hard swim session, as I said, if it's a hard swim session, sustain your body. If it's a hard bike session, sustain your body with energy, you know, especially hard intensity. There's that's sugar. You're using sugar to move fast and hard. So there is no discussion on that one. Not for Mm. me anyway. Yeah, Yeah, no, I I think, uh, I think it's, uh, People easily do the mistake with swimming in particular because there's not the same culture of fueling in swimming. But there, but I would say, or actually, there's perceived to not be the same culture. But that's because swimmers traditionally they have sports drink in their water bottle because it's just more practical yeah. on the pool deck than to yeah, have a bunch yeah, of exactly. gels. So we don't we can we can yeah. think that oh they only have water but they're actually having sports drink. But on the bike yeah. we know that the people are are using gels and stuff because it's practical on the bike. So so it's easy to believe that oh but nobody ever has any energy when they are swimming but actually they do it's just that it's we don't necessarily see it because it's sports drink in their bottle yeah yeah absolutely absolutely there are many stories coming out of the the world of cycling now with with riders who have you know like this some of them they say like i saw the danish rider jakob fulsan coming out in media and saying i wasted eight years of my career and why because he didn't he didn't eat enough simply he did not eat enough to sustain the hard training. It's just, it's that simple. And when he started doing that, he had 
probably the two best seasons of his career. Uh, and, uh, and some people are like, nah, 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 you know, it's cycling. And I'm saying, no, guys, it's because you don't know. The culture was so fixed on on low fat percentage and like that and long rides of fat burning and like that. That's good. You become really good at burning fat. But if you want to press your muscles and give them a stimulus where they grow in strength or absolute power or sprinting power or like that, when you are going at maximum power, you are burning just sugar, nothing else. And if you don't have it available in your body, then you are not pressing what you could press. It's that simple, you know. That's not, you shouldn't be a sugar one that just, that's not good. Let, my, my message is not, let's go crazy about just using a lot of sugar all the time. My message is that sometimes, some periods of the year is not the time to lose weight. Some periods of the year for some people, it is to optimize your fat burning ability and maybe even lose some body fat and like that. But you have to be careful what times of the year that you are trying to do it. And it all goes down to start by defining What's my goal? What is my weakness towards that goal? How do I want to develop it? And how is my nutrition going to aid in that development? What do I need in my nutrition to do to aid that specific development that I need to do to reach my goal? This is the way we work about these things. So at the front of it is not nutrition. At the front of it is what is it I want to develop? How am I going to develop it? How is nutrition going to help me with that? That's the point. That's a great, great summary and a great place to, to wrap it up. So thank you so much, Frank, for taking the time to do this. Uh, it's much appreciated. You are welcome, Michael. And thank you for the world's best triathlon podcast. Next, we'll hear from Coach Val Burke, Canadian based in New Zealand, uh, coaching, among others, Raiden Curry. Uh, she was previously on that triathlon show in episode 290. I'm here with Val Burke to discuss workout fueling. Val, welcome. How are you doing? Hello. Good. Thank you very much. Let's dive right in and uh, start by you giving us a, a summary of your general thoughts and recommendations when it comes to how to fuel uh, your workouts. Okay. It's quite a, a broad question. And the first thing I'd like to say is that um, I've got some really good sport nutritionists who understand endurance training. And often if the athletes are high needs, I'll refer them on. Um, but in saying that, I have done a lot myself and throughout the years, especially when there wasn't perhaps someone I could refer on at various places. So what I'd look at at the moment would be um, what's your training duration and your intensity, uh, because that will determine what you need to eat. Um, are you a new endurance athlete or have you had quite a, a bit of experience training? Because often uh, newer athletes aren't as efficient and you'll get a lot hungrier and perhaps need a little bit more. Um, and then if you're looking at training or you're also looking at race training the gut, and of course that will determine um, a bit of a difference as well. So starting there, uh, training duration, if you're training over about 75 minutes, give or take, then yes, I'd recommend that you have some fuel. What you should have um, is, it's got to be some carbs, but the duration and the intensity will also give you a bit of flexibility. So if your intensity is quite low, you can probably get away with some mixed um, nutrients. So carbohydrate primarily, but you can also have a little bit of fat and protein. And there's lots of options in the commercial products that are available, and they all have 
the grams on them. So it's quite easy, very easy place to start. But a lot of my athletes enjoy a lot of whole foods as well. And over the years have um, made some of their own recipes and and use um, in training some more whole foods and then reverted to the commercial products and mimic their race when they're doing their race specific um, training, the gut. Yeah, and uh, as we have discussed kind of off air, uh, that can be a, a great way to even just save money, sa save on the sport edition products. I actually have an athlete that uh, has found a way to make his own gels that are really mimic sort of the, the texture and even flavor to my understanding of, of commercial gels, but they can be made uh, actually really, really cheaply uh, at, at home. And uh, yeah, it doesn't take more than a bit of Googling to find some, some recipes for, for that as well. So, but as you say, whole foods uh, is another option. Uh, we've had, I've had some other interviews on this topic and people have mentioned things like rice cakes and uh, well, bananas would be an obvious choice and so on. Do you have any other kind of options when it comes to sort of what to consume? Any specific tips there? Well, again, commercial, a lot of the commercial products are really good. Um, so they're out there. <clears throat> Some of the, my favorites are um, making bliss balls. And again, there's lots of recipes out there, but perhaps using dates, um, dates, fruit, almond meal, if you want to go there, a little bit of coconut oil. Um, they're always good ones. Bananas are always good. And uh, quite a few of my athletes, especially if they've come from perhaps the ultra endurance side on their very low intensity rides, or they might have roast vegetables. So just some nice roast vegetables or boiled potatoes with a bit of salt if they want to go that holistic route. Mm, yeah. Uh, you mentioned there that uh, you would may sometimes have beginner athletes or newer athletes eat a bit more than uh, experienced athletes. That's, that's quite interesting. I, I definitely see your point there of them getting more hungry because they're less efficient in terms of uh, in terms of their fat metabolism uh, generally like I'll, I'll just uh, say straight like my my experience is perhaps or my my prescription would perhaps be the opposite that even though uh, the more experienced athletes are have very good fat metabolism they also generally work at a much higher power and use a lot more energy in total so that that's why i would maybe have them eat more than the less experienced athletes but but i'll just let you uh sort of go deeper into that the ability level and how it might impact uh how, how you prescribe fueling because i i did find that very interesting the, the take that you have on that this has come back based on feedback i've had um in that a lot of the athletes that are new to the sport find that they're hungry all the time and when their energies get get slow they do find they seem to um what we call bonk a little bit quicker than some of the more experienced athletes. And I'm sure a lot of it has to do with pacing how hard they perceive, perceive that they need to work. But I do believe a lot of it is down to efficiency. So I'll basically follow, I, we have some guidelines, but I'll follow their lead. But this is just something that I've noticed. And those athletes that have had more years of endurance behind them, they can, on their easier training, longer duration, slower training, they can get by with less and not seem to notice the effects as much yeah okay so so let's go into some uh, some amounts so in terms of grams per hour of carbohydrate uh, for let's start with the low intensity side of things if you have something something longer it might be a one and a half hour workout or a th three hour workout or whatever it is what would your sort of range of a recommendation be for how much to consume there again 
Yeah, a lot of, um, if we start with the lower end, often the lower end could be, I've gone as low as about 0.5 a gram of carb per kilo body weight. So let's say that's a 70 kg person, that would be about 35 grams of carbs an hour, if someone wanted to be on the lower side for their longer, easier rides. However, we go up 60 grams is often just a a common recommendation as well, if they're going to be work, work fairly hard and want to keep up that intensity throughout the whole um, training session. So it's, that's quite a wide, um, it's quite a, a wide window, really. But if we went six, 30 to 60, but if you're on the 30 gram of carb side, you might end up having a bit more mixed fuel. So that might be where you have a bit more protein and fat within that because the um, intensity is a little bit lower. Um, and if you are going up to the higher grams, usually that would allow you to sustain a higher pace for longer. And if you were, you know, going a little bit harder, you probably find you wouldn't digest the mixed foods quite as well anyways. Mm, yeah. And what about when you have something more intense? Uh, it might not be the longest session, but let's say you have a an hour and a half or so and, and you have some quite quite a bit of intensity to that what would your recommendation be there for the amount to consume yeah so again if we look at 60 being a good bottom place to start 60 grams of carbs an hour um and that if we started there and then if we also looked at perhaps looking at race prep or training the gut then you'd want to be mimicking what you did in race day and often i'll do say one one a month or every few weeks um, in the months leading up to the race where people just mimic their race nutrition. And that would start at about 60 grams. But a- again, as you know, that often we're going up even higher than that if people can stomach it and their digestive system allows it. Yeah. W- with the intense workouts, is there a point where you would... So you mentioned there's 75 minutes as a sort of rough guideline for when you should consider start starting to fuel or like the durational workouts that you would need to fuel what what what's your take on really intense workouts that are maybe shorter than that maybe just an hour but a lot of really hard work would you recommend fueling that a little bit or or isn't is it not necessary because of because it's a relatively short workout i mean technically if you're well fueled going into it um, and it depends how many sets and reps and how much time you're doing. But if we really look at someone who's going really hard, say threshold VO2 max intensity, technically you could um, use up your glycogen stores within about 20 minutes. So if you look at that, yes, you could fuel um, throughout uh, the hour. Whereas if you're doing, say, you know, three sets of seven minutes, at threshold, then perhaps in that hour session, you might get away without or you might get away with maybe 30, 30 or 45 grams, and maybe start in at about 30 minutes. Again, it really depends if you're talking about an hour of intense training, or if that includes the 30 minute warm up, and then you're into about 30 minutes of intensity. But yes, with the intensity, they definitely need more. And it really depends on how long the um, high intensity sets are going to be and sometimes i do go race um, nutrition for those just so that people can practice it and see if their digestive system allows it Mm, yeah um so you mentioned there's again 75 minutes uh for the at least for the easier workouts as a uh, as a benchmark other than that are there situations when you would uh 
not fuel workouts. So when you would perhaps deliberately say that, okay, this is a workout where that you should do without fuel and sort of test if how, how well you can go without it uh, or situations like that. Yeah. So I've had the fasted training or the low glycogen training or training low. Um, they've all been trends in the last, oh, I don't know how many years we're looking at, um, with single discipline sports and triathlon has, has, um, started. I suppose they've been using it as well. So I have used it with athletes and I've had athletes, to be honest, that have gone for three hours trying not to eat. But what we see is that it, with the fasted training, what we see, um, I see a lot of overall problems with that. So I'm not a huge fan of it. But the theory is, is that most triathletes are somewhat partially fasted anyways, if, if you're training two or even three times a day. Um, let's say you're an age group where you're probably hitting two sessions a day and maybe working in between. So you might be primarily fasted. So I tend not to put them in unless an athlete really wants to try it. And if they do want to try it, it might be, for example, two, two days a week might be perhaps one of their swims. They don't they have, they wake up and go swim on virtually nothing. Then they consume after and go about their day. Or it might be a, a run or a bike where they, again, just wake up. So they're probably partially fasted anyways. And then an hour and a half to two hours would be the longest I'd ever prescribe. And it would be a low intensity ride. Um, but like I say, I do it more if the athlete wants it. And I've had many athletes that have wanted it. But interestingly, most of them have tried it and they're now back and they're now back into good fueling because they found that's worked better for them. Got it. Yeah. Um, what's your take on fueling being, uh, especially for athletes that are training at a fairly uh, significant volume? We don't, don't have to talk necessarily about pros, but age groupers that are training on the upper end of the typical volumes that you see for age groupers. What's your take on fueling being important there for just not necessarily for the workout you're in or the, the day you're in, but just <clears throat> overall, like managing your glycogen levels over the weeks and months of training and uh, yeah, trying to avoid a state where you are just constantly depleted uh, anyway. Is, is that something that you consider? Definitely. Um, it's, it's, again, it's, uh, I, I go around athletes' preferences, but often if I was to start, what I'd have athletes do is fill out a training log and I'd have a slot every three hours. And I'd like to see something every three hours. My, um, whether you decide that you're going into six small meals, whether you do breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then snacks in between, we don't like to see gaps of longer than about three hours. And that's everyone, um, pro or um, age groupers, simply because what happens is your body can often get into a energy deficient state, um, <clears throat> excuse me, which maybe in one season that might be okay. But I have seen a lot of athletes run into troubles long term by being in that energy depleted state. So I do uh, the eating throughout the day is important. Um, having a snack, especially if you're doing early morning workouts and say you're doing two workouts a day, many days of the week, is having a late night snack before you go to bed and usually a little bit of carb, but protein. That seems to be where we get the best protein synthesis is when we're sleeping. And then the other key, very, very key time is that 30 minutes after your training. And that seems to be, uh, that seems to affect a lot of um, health indices. If you miss that 30 minutes after training, often you find that you're a bit lethargic the next day, your glycogen stores perhaps haven't 
um, had that instant um, refueling. But also, uh, there's also, even if we're looking at sort of blood variables and hormonal effects, um, that 30 minute window seems very, very important for performance, but also health. So if that's the one thing you're going to pay very particular attention to is make sure you have that snack within the 30 minutes after training. Mm. Can you give some examples of what a good uh, post-workout snack in that 30-minute window would be? Yeah, so there, again, there's lots of commercial products. It's researched quite well, but there's also a lot of um, a lot of uh, whole, whole foods that you can use yourself. So uh, the smoothies, they've been around for quite a while, and Milk is actually very, very good for providing the protein, some carbohydrate, and two different types of protein. So if you can tolerate lactose, adding milk to your smoothie, fruit to your smoothie, perhaps some um, berries for antioxidants, and then some banana for just carbohydrate. Um, Greek yogurt is meant to be very good, Greek yogurt as opposed to other yogurts. And then if you add oats, nuts, fruit, seeds to it, you're getting a lot of the fats and proteins as well. Um, and the other one, my daughter, who's taken nutrition and is a collegiate runner as well, she makes a mud cake or a mug cake, which is basically just banana, peanut butter, cocoa, and milk. And that's often her post-recovery snack. And um, no flour, um, but it just gives you protein and carbs as well. Yeah, that sounds nice. Might might want to give that that one a try. Uh, and uh, coming back to you know, what you mentioned there with protein before bed, uh, which, yeah, I do think it's it's something that, I mean, of course, in the res- resistance training world, people are like really religious with that sort of thing. And, and they are actually really good when it comes to knowing what to do for nutrition and, and having it be a really critical part of their training. And in, to some extent, I think that us endurance athletes maybe should take a leaf out of their book when it comes to just how how critical they see it but my my question there is uh what do you see as good sort of uh pre-bed protein snacks do you would you go for something like greek yogurt or uh perhaps something or or like a casein or something like that i think that's what the uh, the sports nutrition companies would want you to to have like a slow release protein uh what's your take on that Yes. And I'm sure, again, I'm sure there's a market and there will be some well-researched um, information out there um, if you want to purchase something. But again, the Greek yogurt seems to go quite well. Milk, a glass of milk seems to go. Milk has um, whey and casein as well in it. Um, and yeah, any, and let me see, that would, yeah, you know, a bit of peanut butter, could be another a little bit of a smoothie not too much but it does endurance athletes we've been very carb focused for a lot of years and we have a lot of tissue turnover so if you look at tendon you know tendons and muscles and the damage you're doing with some of your training it is important to get the protein needs up and that last snack before bed seems to be very effective yeah that's great. And uh, I think that's a, a great place to wrap up. Do you have anything, if you want if you want to kind of uh, give a final take-home message to the audience or summarize uh, your message here, well, what would that be? I think when you go spe- uh, spe- specifically into long-distance triathlon, nutrition will make or break you. So we focus a lot on training, but I think the more we take care and have good nutrition, like good, solid, whole nutrition, 
I think the better you're going to sustain your training and the better your health is going to be long term. So um, do pay attention. I've had a lot of athletes that have said even adding the 30 minute post recovery snack has made a difference to their iron levels and to their their hormone and to how they feel. So those are really important details to probably plug into your training. So if in, in your diary, you plug your training in, plug 30 minutes to make yourself a good snack and recover after. Yeah, that's good. And that's a great point. All right. Thank you so much, Val. Uh, it was uh, great to talk to you as always. Uh, have a good rest of your day. Okay. Thanks a lot. And then we have Coley Moore, who was on that triathlon show in episode 271. He's also the host of the podcast Empirical Cycling. So check that out if you don't know it. It's a very nice podcast that goes really deep into physiology and exercise science. So if you're interested in that, definitely give it a try. In this interview with Coley, I had a bit of an audio blooper, actually a, a big audio blooper on my part where I had the microphone microphone connected to the computer, but I actually hadn't hadn't moved it to the front of my face. It was actually behind the computer, so it was far away from me, and I didn't notice it until quite a ways into the interview. So that was a funny moment, and of course, Coley as a podcaster in particular enjoyed it when, when I suddenly started pulling the microphone towards me and noticing that it was, it was far away. But uh, we'll see what we can do. Not me, somebody who actually knows what they're doing, uh, Carrie, in post-production. Uh, but hopefully it's not, it's not too bad in that first half or whatever it, it is of the, of the interview. And you can still hear me okay. But uh, that's the explanation for why the audio might be a little bit iffy on my part at the through part of the interview. So enjoy. Welcome back to that Raffle Show, Coley. How are you doing? Great. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing great as well, uh, enjoying another month of summer here in Portugal, I hope. We're recording early September, so so the weather is still really nice and uh, lovely for cycling and training. Uh, let's just dive right into the topic here with, uh, with workout fueling. Uh, this is something that uh, I know that you've talked about a bit on your podcast and maybe in some episodes we've gone in depth, but uh, in which case we can have that in the show notes. You can let me know after. But let's start by just a simple... Um, on paper, maybe maybe more complicated in practice summary of your general recommendations for how to fuel workouts for endurance athletes. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a lot of it, you know, is pretty pretty similar to what I'm sure uh, most other people would recommend. Is you know, if you're going to go longer, you're going to go harder. You need to eat more, and if you're going shorter and you're going easier, you probably don't need to eat as much. Uh, you know, if at all, like a one hour recovery ride. It's, you know, you don't need a hundred grams an hour to fuel that. And you also, uh, probably shouldn't do zero grams an hour to fuel a five hour race, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. And as you say, that's what most other people have also recommended. Um, so can we go into a bit more detail on uh, the, the amounts there and how that relates to the duration first, perhaps? And then, then we can talk about how it relates to the intensity. Oh uh, yeah, sure. Well, with duration, I I think this is actually one of the more interesting aspects of it because you know the intensity aspect is pretty simple. You go really hard, you're going to burn a lot of uh, glycogen and glucose, and that's um you know, and you need to fuel that appropriately. But for duration, um, I'm always fascinated by ultras and stuff like that because you know if you're going to race for let's say 12 hours or 24 hours or longer, um you know the intensity is fairly low, but you're also spanning the breadth of several meals for yourself for a day. And so, 
the nutritional aspect becomes more than just, oh, we need to eat more carbohydrates. It's like, how do you actually fuel the regular nutritional needs for your body on the bike or while running with these, you know, super, super long events? And so that's one of the aspects of ultras that me and uh, my other coaches at Empirical Cycling are always looking at, which is, you know, <laughs> uh, nutrition can is a make or break thing for ultras and like long rides. Like even if you're just going to do like an eight hour training ride, which is super long, um, you know, a lot of, uh, cyclists will, uh, you know, skip things like proteins and fats on those rides. And I actually think that that's a big mistake. You know, you really should stop for, you know, 20, 30 minutes and grab a proper lunch, just a sandwich or something like that. Mm, yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, really, really excellent point. And, uh, let, let's go back to intensity actually, uh, because you said that that's pretty simple. Uh, you will burn a lot of glycogen, so you should fuel that properly. Does that mean basically that even if it's a shortish workout, let's call it an hour 15, hour 30, but you have a lot of intensity in it, would you recommend going towards 90 grams per hour of carbohydrate or so for, for that type of workout? Yeah, well, for something like an hour, that's actually a very interesting case because, um, you know, if you consume a, a good amount of carbohydrates beforehand, you're actually going to be pretty well topped up. And especially for a super intense hour, hour and a half long ride, uh, a lot of people can't eat during that kind of ride, you know, the, your guts just won't accept the food. And so, um, so, you know, sipping on, um, you know, some kind of uh, electrolyte drink with some sugar in it, or even something like scratch super fuel, um, you know, that can, uh, that can surely be beneficial. Um, but you know, when you, when it comes to fueling that kind of something really, really short and hard, uh, I would say, you know, fueling, uh, beforehand with, a you know, uh, a lot of carbohydrates, you know, within the two or three hours beforehand, maybe a gel or something when you start that can be good. And then once we get out to the two, three hour dur duration, um, you know, you're going to have some rests in there and you're going to need to, uh, you know, if it's like a hard tempo ride, like a fart, like tempo, you're going hard up hills and easy on the sense. And, you know, you're pretty, you're pretty well putting in the work. Um, you know, you're going to need to eat during that kind of ride. Uh, I would recommend depending on the power you're putting out, uh, at least 50 or 60 grams of carbohydrates an hour. And then if you're, you know, if your FTP is pretty high and you're putting out a lot of kilojoules, you're probably going to want to eat even more than that. Mm, yeah. And, uh, Duration, uh, going back to that a little bit, let's say we're doing an, an endurance ride uh, or even an endurance run. Well, let's stick to the endurance ride because we have a better sort of uh, a larger spectrum of durations there. But if we keep it away from the real extremes of training for ultras, let's say we're keeping it within typical sort of Ironman training days, which might be anywhere from a, a two-hour ride to a, or an hour and a half as a sort of fairly short uh, endurance ride to let's say five or six hours uh, how how will the duration impact in that spectrum and then how much would you recommend for those different types of endurance rides uh yeah i think duration actually is a, a you know it, it has a, a certainly a, a big impact on on what and how much you should eat um so for a typical you know two to five hour ride i would usually recommend something like you know, if your FTP is in the two to 300 watt range, I would probably say 40 to 50 grams of carbs an hour. But, uh, once you get up into the, you know, mid 300s to, you know, the low 400s, uh, for FTP range and you're doing endurance workouts, um, you know, I find a lot of people actually need to eat still like 70 to 80, maybe 90 grams an hour. And, um, I've worked with a couple athletes who have very high FTPs, but actually don't have very good, um, base training, let's say. And their endurance is actually not that good. And so they actually need, really, really need to fuel 
these low intensity endurance workouts with 100 grams of carbs an hour in order to uh, you know, be ready for the next day. Because as I'm sure other people on this episode are going to say, fueling for the workout that you're doing now is actually, you know, it's recovering for the next workout that you're doing. Because, you know, your body's a good energy accountant. And when you spend a lot of kilojoules on a ride, let's say your average power for an endurance ride is somewhere between 250 and 300 watts. That is a ton of kilojoules and your body is burning those and it's going to, um, you know, it's going to balance the ledger books in such a way that, you know, you're going to be pretty hungry at some point. And, you know, eating during that ride is beneficial to, uh, you know, pre-fueling for your next workout, whether it's later in the day or the next day or, mm. you know, two days from then. So, so playing devil's advocate here a little bit, why wouldn't you tell those uh, athletes that might have a high FTP, but not necessarily that great fat oxidation uh, capabilities to fuel more, would it be beneficial to have them fuel less and improve that fat burning capability? Uh, yeah, that is actually a good question. And I, I see exactly where you're going with that. Uh, I thought we would get to that question a, a little later, but I, I like how you're transitioning to it. So I think, um, you know, a lot of the uh, aerobic adaptations that we make uh, occur regardless of how we fuel. Um, just because you're eating carbohydrates during a long uh, endurance ride does not necessarily mean that you're going to negate any adaptations. And in fact, if you can put out a little more power, if you can last a little longer by eating, you're actually going to get more adaptations. And when it comes to, you know, that type of fueling, I think you're getting at, you know, fasted rides or low carbohydrate rides. Um, you know, I think, um, I think there is an interesting place for those. Well, actually, I actually never advocate fasted rides personally, um, unless it's like an hour recovery ride. That's fine. Uh, any longer than that, any harder than that, I absolutely think that it's essential to fuel properly. Because um, otherwise, you're going to put yourself in a hole. And I've seen a lot of athletes do this. Um, and, you know, even when my athletes do this uh, against my recommendations, um, usually burnout happens pretty quickly, especially if they're doing something like trying to lose a lot of weight very soon. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's let's go there to uh, and discuss the fasted rides and more glycogen depleted rides in in more detail. And uh, yeah, what what can you like, do? You have any sort of looking at the you know metabolic side, physiological side, any any insight into why that is not necessary to get those aerobic adaptations, as you mentioned, or, or yeah, you can take it kind of where where you want. But uh, but yeah, uh, that that's kind of a, I guess it'd be interesting to hear your take about the metabolism of it all. Yeah, I think that's an interesting question because I think a lot of people, when they think about, you know, uh, think about like fat max, like at what intensity do you burn the most fat? Um, I think that there's a belief in a lot of folks, definitely not everybody. I, I know that a lot of a lot of coaches are well aware of this fact, but um, just because you're burning a lot of fat does not necessarily mean that's going to make you better at burning more fat. You know, you can do like FTP extensive work is also another type of endurance training that will get you burning more fat. Um, it also gets you storing more glycogen, blah, blah, blah. So, so I think one of the things that, um, that I think people should think about is what keeps us from burning fat. Um, and why do we want to burn more fat? Obviously we want to burn more fat because that spares glycogen, yada, yada. But what is the, what are the things that we can do to, burn more fat and um, what limits it, what really limits it, uh, in my opinion anyway, is transport from fat tissues. Um, and obviously, you know, there is uh, intramuscular triglycerides that we can burn, but, um, but you know, the transport from adipose tissue is a really, really big one. And so 
when we want to improve that, really just all kinds of writing, like high volume or extensive FTP work, you know, any kind of extensive work like that, that's going to be beneficial. Um, and uh, I would say also for something like, uh, you know, I, like I said before, I don't advocate fasted rides, but when I give people um, low carbohydrate rides, uh, you know, we'll, you know, we'll, like, we'll glycogen deplete them for, you know, starting with the previous day's ride, you know, we'll, we'll limit the carbohydrate intake, uh, probably about 50% of what nominally would be, um, you know, at advised, uh, maybe starting with 75% and bringing it down to 25 to 30%. So, so is that, is that, are you referring to the in-workout fueling there or what they really uh, have be- consumed between that previous day's ride and... Uh, yeah, it would that would be between. So let's say you're going to do a, uh, a low-carbohydrate ride on Sunday. Uh, you know, fuel normally for your Saturday ride, including before and during. And then afterwards, you know, you can get in a good amount of carbohydrates. But after that, um, you know, I recommend, uh, I, or I would recommend... Um, you know, starting to decrease the amount of carbohydrates. And then, so in the morning, um, actually here's, here's the trick to doing these kinds of rides properly is you actually want to make sure that you are isocaloric. You don't want to have a caloric deficit when doing these kinds of rides, because like I said before, the body is a good energy accountant. And if you are in any kind of severe energy deficit, your, you know, your adipose tissue is, uh, is an endocrine or organ in a way, because it's going to send out signals like, Hey, we're empty. You better eat. Uh, and, and this can also lead to, you know, other problems down the road. If, um, you know, typically seen when endurance athletes just aren't eating enough in general overtraining and kind of fatigue, all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so I see you were going to, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, 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 so yeah, what I was going to ask is, and for what athletes would you do this? And then if you do this, this sort of ride, how often would you do it? How how long would you do it for in terms of like a block of training? How many times per week for how many weeks and those sorts of things? Um, I would say once or twice a week, max, absolute max. Because, um, you know, one of the things that we're doing when we do these rides is, you know, we are teaching the body to rely and, uh, and move and uh, transport fatty acids better. Um, and especially across membranes, like one of the things that seems to be um, really critical in fat transport into the mitochondria is the, um, you know, the CPT1, CPT2 and uh, carnitine uh, shuttle. Um, and by doing these kinds of rides, what I've seen is that TTE at FTP, so how long you can hold your FTP. So when it comes to the mechanism of adaptation that I think happens, um, is when when we do these kinds of rides uh, for let's say a month or two, usually what happens is I see TTE at FTP go out, and this is an indicator of you know increasing fat reliance. And I think it's because of you know increased carnitine stores and transport and CPT one and you know the whole the whole chain. Uh, actually, on the Empirical Cycling podcast, the series I've been doing lately is about metabolism. So we've been looking at you know. Uh, how we break down glucose, how we break down fatty acids, what limits the uh, fatty acid transport, at least in my opinion, uh, I go into it in depth there. Uh, and, you know, next couple episodes, we're actually going to get into some of the other mechanisms. Um, you know, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, should you do keto diets? The answer is no. Um, we're going to talk about VLA max. We're going to talk about all sorts of stuff. So that's, uh, that's coming up in the next couple episodes. Um, so, oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. 
Yeah, uh, no, that's uh, I, I've been following that and looking forward to the next episodes as well. Um, the the other question was uh, would be how what types of athletes would you do these rides for, and and when you do that for how many weeks would you keep doing it? Like let's say of of your athletes, is it or do you have ten percent of your athlete athletes do it, or is it eighty percent of your athletes? Like how prevalent is it for you to do this intervention with, with these types of rides? It's not as common as it used to be with me because one of the things that I found with most average folks is that um, the fueling low carbohydrate kind of stuff is difficult while maintaining an isocaloric diet. You know, where do you get the calories is, uh, you know, can be a problem. So some people will underfuel, So that's a problem. Some people are just generally kind of groggy, in which case, you know, we'll increase the carbohydrates till they get used to it. But, you know, a lot of them just don't like it. Uh, but for... Those that do, those that where it works, um, usually we'll do it early season. We'll probably do it for a month or two. Excuse me. And I would say we do it with most endurance athletes. Pretty much anybody who wants to increase FTP, increasing TTE is actually a really, really good first step. And then we'll do some VO2 max work, and then we'll see a big bump of FTP on the back of that. Mm. All right. And coming back to the uh, those workouts where, where you do fuel, uh, do you have any other recommendations you mentioned already for those really long rides, making sure you also get some protein and fat to just kind of compensate for your lack of having having your normal meals? But, but for rides and training in the more normal sort of time ranges, do you have any recommendations for what to consume in terms of our, do you prefer to rely on like sports drinks and gels or sports nutrition products or uh, more natural foods like bananas or and any recommendations on that front? Uh, actually, that's a very good question because, well, just in general, I think that whatever somebody likes to eat is what they should eat. And once, um, once the food consumption or type of food uh, becomes an issue, then we'll look at something else. Um, so it's, you know, an individualized thing. Cause you know, somebody might like to eat Cheez-Its and somebody else might like to eat Swedish fish and somebody else might like to eat eggs. And so, um, you know, it's whatever you got is fine until it becomes an issue. Um, then we look at, um, what else to do. But also I think this is an interesting question because for the, uh, glycogen depleted rides, uh, I usually recommend people consume carbohydrates during those rides. Mm. Because one of the things that is going to happen is you're still going to be consuming or you're still going to be utilizing some carbohydrates. And when you start with depleted glycogen stores, you are on the edge of bonking for the whole ride. And it's really beneficial to avoid that. And so um, so starting with glycogen depletion and consuming carbohydrates does not necessarily mean that you're going to get less adaptation. It's one of those things where it's, you know, it's kind of a, it's a strong spice in the recipe as it were. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. And, uh, you mentioned, uh, as well, uh, some for some pre-workout fueling with the, the intense rides, uh, fueling with, uh, plenty of carbohydrates two to three hours before, mm-hmm. uh, what about post-workout fueling? Uh, any thoughts around that? Yeah, actually, I think that's a very interesting question because, um, you know, I think a lot of high intensity stuff uses a lot more glycogen than most people think. Because when we look at, you know, the metabolic demands of high intensity, um, let's say, you know, we're doing 30 second all out sprints or something like that, some really high intensity intervals. Um, you know, if we look at the kilojoules spent, it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty low kilojoule ride. But when we look at the metabolic demands, you know, if we like, 
you know, let's let's look at the the um the difference between aerobically oxidized carbohydrate versus anaerobically oxidized carbohydrates. So at FTP and below, if we're let's let's say at FTP we're at 100% carbohydrates, which doesn't you know it's usually not the case, but let's just say um, we're going to get you know 30 what four ish. Uh, ATP per molecule of glucose oxidized, but high intensity, we get two ATP. And so if we need to fuel, um, you know, X kilojoules of work with, you know, two ATP per molecule of glucose, you know, we can see the demand for glucose is much, much higher if we need to supply the same amount of ATP. And so this means that we are obligately churning through glucose like a Gatling gun. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so what does that what are the implications of that in the post-workout fueling? Yeah, the implications is that you probably want to increase the amount of carbohydrates uh, greatly to something like maybe um, 7 to 10 grams per kilogram body weight um, for at least an hour or two, if not more. Um, you know, And that's something that actually I recommend that working with a dedicated nutritionist or a dietitian uh, is really beneficial for most athletes because somebody like me, like I'm, you know, as a coach, I'm, I feel like I'm like a, like a mechanic, you know, I'll, I can, you know, kind of imagine what's going on in the muscles and adaptation and yada, yada. And I'll say, this is what we need to do to get you faster. But when it comes to fueling and nutrition and stuff like that, I actually have, uh, all my workout, uh, excuse me, I actually have all of my athletes work with a dedicated nutritionist, uh, named Rita Brooke, who is excellent. And, um, you know, cause that, that actually takes some of the burden off of me because I'm actually not as much of an expert on these kinds of things as she is. So, you know, I can't, you know, give people, you need to eat this many calories th- today to, you know, lose weight or whatever it is, you know, and she's, mm. she's great at that kind of stuff. So it actually, um, take some of the burden off of me. And, um, and also it gives the athlete another person to bounce ideas off of. Um, and, you know, having a good uh, working relationship between me and her actually is really, really beneficial to, um, to our athletes. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And uh, what about if you're doing a long endurance ride, let's say a 45 hour ride, what would, would your recommendations be different than in terms of the post-workout fueling? Um, yeah, because um, you know, the, well, yeah, uh, yeah. Generally, I would say because um, you get th- this is where the kilojoules that you burn are actually going to be fairly well reflective of the general uh, needs, and so, um, and so once you look at the kilojoules burned plus your you know basal metabolic rate, you can actually come up with a pretty good number to uh, to you know fuel yourself properly and maintain body weight and muscle mass and whatever else you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. What about protein uh, post-workout? Is that something you think is important? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm sure a lot of other people on this episode are going to say just what I'm going to say, which is you need to keep your protein intake at, you know, pretty steady through the day because, you know, you, if we look at, you know, protein synthesis rate versus protein breakdown rate, um, we need, to, you know, if you want to maintain your muscle mass, then that's something that you need to do is make sure that you've all, you're always getting in you know, 20, 30, 40, however much grams of protein, you know, somebody who, you know, sprinter like me, I need about 200 grams of protein a day, you know, a small climber might need a hundred grams of uh, protein a day, and that would be spread throughout the meals. So you, yep. you absolutely need to make sure that you're getting it in every so often. Right. Is there anything else uh, regarding workout fueling that you want to mention, Coley? Anything that we missed? Um, 
Actually, I think we covered it all. Uh, covered unless, it all unless, right? there's, unless there's anything else that you thought was interesting in there that we uh, that we didn't quite go down. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of things we could we could go down, but but I think uh, I think I think this is a perfect summary of uh, recommendations, and and this is uh, I, I think that probably if if we want to really go down deep into rabbit hole, then I would uh, direct the listeners to your uh, metabolism series, and uh, they can hear more about uh, m- more about the kind of the nitty gritty details uh, at a cellular level uh, over there, and, and we can keep keep this one a bit shorter and, and just keep to the sort of practical recommendations. So, so I think that that's, uh, yeah, this was a perfect, perfect summary of that. So thank okay, you. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Come listen to the empirical cycling podcast. And the next interview is with coach Ryan Bolton, who coaches athletes such as Ben Hoffman and Sam Long. Uh, Ryan was on the podcast in episode 221. And I'm here with Ryan Bolton to discuss workout fueling. Uh, Ryan, welcome. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thanks. Great to be here. Uh, it's my pleasure to have you. Uh, first, let's just start by a general summary of uh, your recommendations for workout fueling, and then we can dig into some details from there. Yeah, totally. I we could dive into this super deeply. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll probably get it. We'll probably get into uh, more specifics here in a little bit, but. Um, you know, I, I would say my general philosophy um, on on diets and on fueling is uh, somewhat traditional and um, and not very fatty. I know there's a lot and not fatty, uh, fatty, as in it's a fad to be currently eating this type of food. Um, yeah, I'm somewhat uh, traditional in that way. I would say one of the biggest principles that I follow with uh feeling for workouts is actually following a periodized plan, just like you would, um, with a training plan, you know, where there's an, an actual base period, you know, and then you add, you know, intensity and more race specific stuff as you get closer to races. And, um, I, I do a similar thing with my athletes in, in regard to feeling, um, for workouts as well. Can you go into that a little bit deeper? How, how do you periodize it? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, during, during base phases, I mean, um, you know, working on because intensity is significantly lower and, you know, there's a lot more, uh, you know, if you want to characterize zones or put it into zones, there's a lot more zone one and zone two work. Um, the need for sugar in the body is actually less, you know, I mean, we use sugar, um, you know, as a fuel source, uh, more prevalently when, um, you know, when intensity is higher. So during, during base, uh, sessions, you actually shouldn't be utilizing that much sugar. In fact, uh, a lot of athletes, especially age group athletes, like I, I feel like, uh, not allowing them to take very much sugar in during their base type training, it, it actually trains them to keep the intensity a little bit lower because, you know, they want to go fast or something. And it's, you know, not a time of the season to be going fast. And, and, um, so during base type season, like I said, I, uh, more calorically restrictive, uh, definitely feeling less, less calories during workouts. Um, I would, I would say doing long or, or not adding feeling to workouts for a longer period of time. Um, because once again, you don't need it really working on fat metabolism, really working on, um, utilizing fat metabolism and training, training that system. I mean, if you look at what getting fit is, is getting fit is, ultimately, uh, just becoming more efficient at burning fat at higher levels of, of, uh, 
of intensity. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you can train that during, um, during the base season, then as you get, uh, into the higher intensity stuff, as you get closer to races and stuff, um, start gradually adding fueling in and fueling. When I talk about fueling, like, uh, I'm talking primarily, you know, sugars and or complex sugars. And we can go into that here a little bit more when we get into specifics, but, um, you know, and, and more starting to get the stomach used to what you're going to do both, um, you know, in reality in the race, but also it's absolutely necessary because when you start adding, you know, intensity and particularly to long workouts, you need that sugar. You need that sugar to finish the workouts, to have successful workouts and to finish them, you know, on with high quality. And, um, I, I to me, that's incredibly, incredibly important. I mean, sugar, like I said, I, I'm a big believer in in working on getting your body to be non-reliant on sugar, but I'm also a huge believer in that sugar is an amazing fuel source. And when you're going hard, it's it's an amazing thing. It just you want to create a body that's as efficient to go as fast as possible without sugar. But when you do need sugar, um, it, it's absolutely critical and adding it um, just it, it, it allows for that high quality top end stuff to happen and to work. Um, there's a delicate balance, of course, as, as we all know, you know, you can't just, uh, you, you can't blast it. And also people have sensitive stomachs and you can only consume X amount of calories per hour in, in a workout and or in racing. But, um, but like finding that balance is, is key. And like I said, and then adding that in, as you get into that high specificity stuff is important. Let's uh, take a couple of examples of that. So in the early phase, in the base training phase of training, what yeah. might typical uh, age group athletes Saturday ride look like in terms of duration and then the, the fueling uh, prescription or recommendations for that workout? And then in contrast, as they're building up for their let's say a long or a half or full Ironman race a few weeks out from that when they're doing really specific stuff with some race pace and, and still long duration, probably how different is it then? Yeah, it's, I would say it's quite a bit different because what I, what normally I would like to do is as you build, and this is kind of the whole periodization component of it is as you build, um, the, uh, the volume, um, the body should become adaptive as well. So like, um, I mean, I think a lot of people would know just from personal experience, if you haven't been training and you go for a two hour bike ride, even an, an aerobic two hour bike ride, you get and with no fuel, you get to the end of it and you're pretty darn hungry <laughs> and you're ready to fuel. However, with a little bit more fitness, you can go three hours with a little bit more fitness. You can go four hours with a little bit more fitness. You can go five hours, um, without feeling as long as you're keeping, you know, your zones, uh, in check. So I would say, um, minimal to no fueling in the base season until you absolutely, uh, you know, need it and you need your body. The other thing that can be different about fueling in the base season is the type of fuel. And, uh, you don't need to be eating, you know, let's say you're going on a five hour bike ride and you need to take some calories in, you don't need to be taking in, you know, say like a pure, uh, you know, pure sugar, a pure gel or something like that. Like, honestly, you can have, um, you know, like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or something that's more substantive and maybe something that has more uh, protein in it. Um, that's like a, a pretty common thing. Um, as you get into the, the, the more specific, um, 
you know, training, like you said, let's say four weeks, five weeks out from the race. I like to move athletes into exact race nutrition strategy so that, that we're eating the exact type of things that they're going to eat during the race and, uh, in exactly the same, uh, load that they're going to eat during the race. And man, it varies a lot, you know, from athlete to athlete, depending upon their metabolism, their stomach, uh, how big they are. Um, you know, you see, I, I guess I, I can tell you the ranges that I see in Ironman is I would say people taking in, uh, anywhere from 250, uh, calories an hour to, I mean, I know some athletes who are taking in 500 uh, to 600 calories an hour, which is actually, it's really on the high end, but, um, more recently I've seen yeah, in, some, in, in terms of, uh, grams per hour of carbohydrate, that would be 250 would be around 60 grams per hour. And that's right. Uh, 500 to 600 would be 125 to 150 grams per hour. So yeah, that, yep. that is, that is really high. Yeah, that's high. Yeah. And those are the higher end athletes, um, that are pushing kind of the limits, uh, you know, an Ironman, you know, when you look at like what intensities are you racing at? And I think, um, this is a, it's kind of a little side note here is you often hear, Oh man, I was having a really great race until my gut shut down. And, um, and I always say, well, you probably weren't having a great race. It probably means you were in over your head and you were going too hard because <laughs> if your gut shutting down in an Ironman, you were probably at too high of an intensity. And, uh, but you know, when you look at what an age group athlete, you know, what percentages of max or what percentages of threshold, um, you know, they're racing at, it's, it's probably, it's a little bit lower than normally what say the pros are pushing. And so I see the caloric intakes of professionals, uh, normally actually being, being higher, they may be more efficient, but their intensity is also a little bit higher. Um, so, uh, so they, they sometimes have to tap into a bit more sugar stores. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So higher relative intensity would mean higher carbohydrate uh, right. requirements. Also, a higher, the higher absolute uh, absolute power would just uh, just lead to that. Exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah. W- what about do you, do you gradually build up through the season? So, let's say we're not quite there in the specific period yet, but you are already at the, at a phase in the in your training where you're doing some some general intensity uh intensity work and so on what what would the recommendations be for for a ride like that when which might be several months out still from your a race or so but but it's not no longer just a a base endurance workout totally so and i actually i kind of have some rules of thumb for that and uh that that at that phase because this is like the phase that we're talking about where you probably can't get through the workout without taking in calories without sacrificing the, the, the quality of the workout. And I think like as an athlete or as a coach, that's the point where you need to be like, okay, we need to incorporate, you know, fueling into the workout. Um, I say that like as a rule of thumb personally, like if, if athletes like start asking when you're getting into that phase, I say, you know, if you're doing runs that have intensity in them and that are over an hour and 30 minutes, you need to start, uh, starting a fueling program. And we can talk about that in a moment. Um, and then if in bikes, I always say, if it's over three hours, if you're doing over three hour rides that have intensity in them, then you need to start, um, you know, doing a a fueling program and a fueling program. It it goes like right away. It's not like, Oh, okay. Well, like with what I just said, you start fueling at an hour 30 on the run. No, you start treating the run like it is because you want to start getting the fueling right away. So you actually start, you know, dosing your feeling early on, like, you know, as early as 20 minutes on. And also, you know, you can be eating ahead of time too. 
just to make sure, because to me, it's important that the athletes have the fuel to get to like, let's say the two hour mark of the run and to be still getting quality at that point and not losing the quality because they are just completely out of fuel. That's, you know, one of the main reasons to do it. The other, the other huge reason to do it is to once again, get race fueling nutrition nailed down. And sometimes that takes a lot of time. I mean, that's the funky thing about race fueling is, and I'm sure you've seen this before too, is people, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll nail it with one Ironman. They'll completely nail their nutrition and they're like, that's it, you know, let's mark it in the books and this is what we're going to stick with. And then, uh, you know, four months later, they'll do another Ironman. They'll follow exactly the same program and they'll have stomach issues. And, uh, I mean, that's the tricky thing with it. It's pretty dynamic. And, uh, I think with all of this, and that's kind of a lesson. So, you know, we talk about these specific timelines and these specific calories and stuff. I always, I think it's very important for athletes to learn the indicators in their body. Um, and, uh, you know, the feelings, the sensations of, Hey, I feel like I might be a little over calorie right now. My stomach's a little bit off. What do I do in this point? You know, how do I back off? How long do I back off? And it's so athlete dependent and it's such an art form to understand that and or vice versa. You know, I think that I'm under calorie right now, you know, what do I need to do to take in new calories? I, I think, you know, that there's, this is a whole other, uh, podcast, topic, but talking about, you know, the glucose monitors, the, you know, the actual in time mm. glucose monitors and stuff, because I think they're incredibly valuable this way, you know, to this point, it has been very, you know, this like, uh, you know, uh, you know, just by feel like situation, you know, am, am I on top calories? I think that I'm shooting for this. These are the type of calories that have worked in the past. And, uh, you know, this is how I feel right now. Whereas with, with those and having that data, you can actually get like, no, I actually am low on sugar right now. And I actually do need to consume something or I'm, I don't, you know, cause I'm plenty high on sugar right now. So I think that's interesting. I mean, you're just talking about blood sugar, like absolute blood sugar at that point, um, which doesn't like necessarily re reflect your stores or anything, but still those things could be valuable. Um, and, and I think will become more and more uh, prevalent out on the race course. Yes. Um, yeah, I was looking at the, the WTCS races this weekend and Christian Blumenfeld was sporting one of those uh, yeah. monitors. Even yeah. just this weekend, we had the uh, Portuguese half distance national championships and, and I saw one of the athletes there wearing one and, and mm. that's not a professional athlete we're talking about. So yeah, they're, yeah. they are becoming prevalent. I I saw a statement uh, from one of the companies that's making them. And when the tour de France banned them, the, you know, the tour de France says you can't yeah. wear them during the race. And, and they said, this shows you that these things are useful and powerful. If they're not letting us use it, it yeah. means that we're getting really good at, that the athletes are maybe getting a little bit too much information. And I, yeah. I think, but, but, you know, I think that's one great thing about triathlon as a sport is our sports, almost the opposite is, um, you know, triathlon is so into innovation and so into this type of stuff that I think like, you know, we are the type of sport that embraces, you know, this type of technology cycling is kind of old school and, and, uh, you know, the, yeah, they kind of, you know, poo poo these ideas, whereas triathlon almost embraces them, which triathlon obviously has, I mean, they're major sponsors of races now. Yeah, it is. It is a very, it's actually a, a podcast episode that I'm, it is. I'm just looking for some, uh, some good people to, to talk about it. I am quite interested in what you said there. Yeah. They measure the blood sugar, but what, how does it help us if the muscles are using the muscle glycogen? And, uh, I don't know. For the sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone really knows that answer. I mean, uh, and I don't know how to ultimately, you know, how do you measure uh, muscle 
glycogen levels, like you said, storage levels, like, you know, how can you do that in a, in a, in a, um, like in a, an acute manner, like, you know, what these blood glucose monitors are doing. So, yeah. Well, uh, let's get back to the workout fueling. And, uh, well, one, one thing that you mentioned there that, uh, in the base training phase, for example, it doesn't have to be, uh, sports nutrition products. It can be, can, can be something different, uh, some whole foods, um, discuss a little bit more around uh, what should you consume and when what are some good options and then you can discuss both sort of those uh, alternative options for the base training phase uh, but uh, then when it comes to the sort of more specific preparation what you you said already that you want the the athletes to be practicing their race nutrition plan so i guess it then depends on what their nutrition plan is but if you have any any additional recommendations around that then uh, feel free to let us know that yeah, during the base phase, you know, like I said, you can use alternative uh, fueling sources. I mean, <laughs> like you said, honestly, like a ham sandwich. In fact, I this was pre. Uh, this was actually the first year that I did an Ironman. I was out with a very experienced Ironman athlete, and we were probably out in the middle of a six-hour ride, and we stopped at you know some trashy gas station in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and he bought a ham sandwich and this is like those, you know, convenience store ham sandwiches, which are probably really bad for you. And I was like, man, what are you thinking? And he was like, he said, dude, at, at hour five, I'm, you're going to be like blown away at like how good I feel because he is basically just getting in calories. You know what I mean? He didn't need the sugar calories. You don't need the pure sugar calories. You know, you could afford to take in more longer term you know, calories, like, you know, whatever, a complex carbohydrate, like a slower acting, even protein, you know, there was fat in that, you know, so during the base season, you can get away with that more if you are taking in calories. In fact, during the base season, I would avoid like completely, I would avoid like your gels and like straight up, you know, sugars and everything, you just don't need that type of stuff. Um, You know, some people choose and it is actually okay, if you can build up to it just to be completely fasted. Um, in those longer workouts and and not take in anything as long as once again, you're not bonking and coming home the value. And this is, this is like kind of an interesting thing to look at is the value of eating on those long rides and eating more, like I said, protein rich fruit foods, you know, not the, you know, pure sugar stuff is it could possibly, and this is what I like about eating on these in the base season. Um, if, if you are going to eat, and if you're not eating immediately after working out, I think that's an important thing to point out, but is the recovery potential. You know, what I think happens is, you know, a person will like, it, let's say they do a five hour fasted ride in the base season. Um, they need to, if you do do that, it's important when you get home to eat something, you know, like get, get something in your system right away. Um, you know, for, for recovery and everything. And I mean, that's like debatable. Okay. Well, how long do I do that? How many calories are going to be, you know, and how long do I want to stay in this fasted state and all that type of stuff. But I think that's important because if you do that cumulatively day after day after day, you know, fasting, not eating recovery food, then you're just going to dig yourself into a hole. So there is this balance here of, you know, making sure that you are getting in calories. I think the big takeaway maybe for, listeners and everything that actually I try to avoid during the base season with my athletes is just the pure sugar stuff. You know, you don't need that. It's not necessary. Mm. And, uh, you already talked about the post-workout, uh, or led into the post-workout, uh, recovery. Yeah. And I was going to ask about that next. Uh, and yeah, I kind of, you kind of already answered all of the questions that I have, like when should you take it and how much should <laughs> you take? And, uh, well, it, I guess it depends on how much you fuel the ride and, and so on. And, but do you have anything additional to add on that post-workout fueling? 
Well, I mean, making sure that you have, uh, uh, with post-workout feeling, you know, protein should definitely be a significantly larger part of the equation. And it is. Um, so, but you also need some, once again, in post-workout feeling, you need to make sure that you have pure sugar. I always tell people a great post-workout, um, you know, food is like, you know, making a smoothie, some type of a smoothie with like a, a, a juice and, or even adding, like I said, honey or like pure glucose sugar to it with protein, with protein powder, for example, I think the, they say the optimal ratio is a four to one ratio, which is also kind of the, you know, the, the cliched chocolate milk things. If you look at what the consistency of chocolate milk is, it's basically that optimal recovery feel, um, you know, based on science and everything. And, um, you know, you can, you can recreate that with so many things, um, and all of that. So that's what with recovery, um, and you know, that recovery feel once again, as you get into the higher intensity phases is more important than ever particularly for triathletes, if you're doing more, more than one workout a day and, um, you know, and consecutive days of hard workouts, it's not as important, um, for athletes who are one a day, um, you know, doing one workout a day and, or not consecutive days worth of, uh, worth of like hard workouts. It's not, it's not nearly as important, but for triathletes, I think that whole recovery fuel thing is big. Um, the other thing that I would like to touch on, and this is for both racing and, as you get more into those higher intensity phases is people who have sensitive stomachs um, and do have a hard time taking sugar in um, taking in the branch chain carbohydrates. And like, I guess, you know, to name a a name brand is like you can Um, I'm a big believer in those types of products because you can preload a race situation or a workout situation to have a slow release of energy and, and it does like, I mean, there's science behind it that shows it's a slow release of energy, you know, throughout the workout or throughout the race, which enables you to lighten your actual like pure sugar load a little bit, you know, throughout the workout and throughout the race. Once again, I think that's probably a podcast in itself, <laughs> but, um, but I'm a big believer in that. And I often have athletes preload, you know, um, especially for races. Um, but for even for training, I, I find that stuff incredibly valuable. Mm, yeah. Uh, have yeah. you had any experience with uh, athletes that may have sensitive uh, stomachs using Morton, for example, and have that improved them? Yes, it has. And that's the interesting thing about the Martins is it seems to, you know, their technology of the encapsulation, it actually seems to work too. And I, I would say, you know, I haven't seen enough like science on it and everything, but just from just, you know, verbal feedback from athletes, they seem to uh, seem to like that as well. So, I, I mean, I, I think that there is like there's something there with that for sure. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think the science is very equivocal on uh, on that, but I have had several athletes that have, that with no hesitation Morton has helped them tremendously uh, yeah. when they've had issues before. So, so I think yeah, for, totally. for certain individuals, it definitely works. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's a uh, you can. Uh, I'm not sure if we can get it here in Europe. I know it's big in the US. Uh, yeah, it's really big in the US. And uh, you're right, though. I'm not sure if you can get it in Europe. In fact, I had one of the uh, East African runners that I coach who uh, went. They went home to to Kenya, and. Um, uh, they ran out of you can and they said, and I got, you know, a, a WhatsApp message that said, Hey, so-and-so is traveling here, you know, in two weeks, can you make sure you get them, you know, a, a, a shipment of you can to bring it over here. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, they're really, yeah. Cause you, obviously you can't find it in Kenya either. 
Yeah. All right. Well, let's start to wrap it up. Uh, is there anything else uh, that you want to mention or do you want to kind of give your uh, main take-home message for the audience to finish off? No, I guess my really the big takeaway is what I started with is I really feel like uh, nutrition should be periodized. Like I'm a big advocate of that. I'm not, you know, an extreme like you should be you know, calorically restrictive all the time. And I'm definitely not on, you know, the opposite side of that where, you know, you should be feeling with sugar, you know, constantly and everything. Like I really do feel that a great approach is periodizing your nutrition plan as with, with the season and then planning accordingly. It's not easy, but, um, but you know, if you're, if you're interested in high performance and doing, you know, having your best races and everything, it's, it's a great way to approach it. Right. Great. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. You bet. You soon. Yeah, you bet. And finally, we have coach Bjorn Kafka, who works a lot with cyclists uh, at top level, mountain bikers, road cyclists, and so on. And he's also one of the brains behind, behind the software AeroTune, which is a fantastic tool that I use and recommend. Uh, Bjorn was on that Raffle show in episode 286, and that was uh, a super episode, one of the most downloaded in uh, the recent uh, year or so, I would say. Uh, definitely worth checking it out. Bjorn is really a bit of a guru when it comes to metabolism. So uh, it would be really interesting to hear what he has to say on this topic. I'm here with uh, Bjorn Kafka uh, to discuss workout fueling. Bjorn, welcome back. How are you doing? Yeah, fine. I'm on a little road trip now through Slovenia and Croatia, so having a good time and uh, yeah, but uh, always time for a little interview with you. Oh, that, that's that's great. That's very nice to hear. So uh, uh, let's just dive right in and uh, start by if you can give us a summary of your thoughts and general recommendations around workout fueling, and then we'll dive into some some things in more detail after that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first of all, um, so when I start working with athletes, um, uh, I always uh, I try to find out if they have like some nutritional dogma so i always like beware of nutrition beware of nutritional dogmas yeah so low carb uh, keto gluten-free any restrictive diet can really make more harm than good yeah so of course if there is some kind of benefit for the athlete but most of the times i have the feeling it's more like a trend yeah and it's fashionable to do these kind of things so um i, I just look if there is any dogma and then just try to avoid them and try to find out if it makes any sense for these athletes. So the, the next thing is eating. Eating in general, especially in an endurance sport, is quite a problem. Um, and so we have more under-eating than enough eating. We have uh, problems with um, um, yeah, yeah, um, uh, anorexia, stuff like that. Yeah. So um, eating enough is the next thing and eating healthy. Um, so really easy stuff, yeah. Eating enough fibers, eating enough vegetables, and fueling, yeah. And, and this is the next thing. Um, um, uh, what I uh, see in on daily basis, and I really have to teach my athletes really to eat enough carbs during the training. And it's it's sometimes kind of a magic for them. Yeah? When they start eating carbs, they see okay, I, I can hit the numbers. And I, I feel, still feel good. And especially after the training, I feel, yeah, not totally, um, uh, beaten to the ground. Yeah? So, and 
So enough carbs in training, after training and before. And of course, in hitting um, um, uh, enough protein, yeah. So the 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 the, the, the daily needs for an athlete yeah, is higher than like a normal person. So looking at that, and um, then the next thing is when we have like cleared out these things, uh, I try to develop nutri nutritional habits, uh, something like how to fuel during different workouts. It's not only like during the workout. Or, or racing, for example, um, it's like uh, um, um, how, how should you eat during these weeks when we train hard VO2 max intervals? How you should eat during a racing week or maybe three weeks before a racing eat? Yeah? So we, I try to develop uh, these habits and they should become like really um, something normal. Yeah? And um, another thing is also how how should they eat during different climate situations so when it's very hot when it's very cold and yeah these kind of things so they also should become like a normal thing so when it's hot i should eat more this and when it's cold i should eat more that and the next thing is um endurance sport we have all these nice supplements and nutritional supplements are for me as a coach are always the icing on the cake so before we start these things, uh, I don't know, citrulline malad, arginine, and uh, all these other nice things you can use, the athlete needs kind of a robust foundation of how a good nutrition works. And after that, and this sometimes takes a year, or I, some athletes I don't start with it because they they don't get the, 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 the easy stuff right. So, but when I, I have the feeling and I can talk on a, on a high level about nutrition with the athlete, I know, okay, then we can start with the uh, nutritional supplements. Yeah. Or, yeah, that's, that's if we take like the, the, the more like specific supplements, yeah, even like supplementing carbs, yeah, easy to digest carbs are some kind of supplement for me. Yeah. Yeah. So this is uh, the, the summary of how I, I work with this. Yeah, uh, that was that was a great summary. Uh, a lot of things there to to digest, uh, pun intended. And uh, so the follow up questions will be mostly related to specifically to fueling the workouts. We will also go into a little bit of pre and post workout fueling. But but when it comes to the fueling part, uh, you mentioned there uh, that yeah, you generally work with trying to get your your athletes to fuel better, uh, fuel more during the workouts, and and that can be like magic. Uh, recommendations for how how much to consume first and of course this can vary depending on intensity and duration can you go into that like what what would those benchmarks be for how much to consume in workouts yeah yeah so um so what we do um or what i do as a coach i always do this the power test from aerotune uh, which i developed so um i i get an idea of how much carbs uh, they need during different intensities. Yeah, we always have to be clear that it's only like it, it, a static situation. Yeah, if it's if someone goes very hard, like above threshold and uh, even above VO two max power output, um, um, uh, we we th it change. Yeah, it's not like a con constant number. Yeah, uh, so when you start working out, you have a, a, another oxidation of um, carbohydrates or combustion then uh, after three hours yeah so but to, to have this number for example 50 grams of carbohydrates for 260 watts this 
helps a lot. Yeah, it's 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 a start that the the the, the athletes gets um 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 sensible sensible or get, get get a feeling of how how real real eating works during different intensities and that they know if i go 100% at for example threshold i i need really nearly 100% of carbs during these um, intervals uh? yeah so and um to to get a, a step f uh, the back so um when when we talk about nutrition and also what you should consume during workouts um i always have my old um colleague in mind um, from my times during the bike magazine when I was working there as an editor. So he always said, okay, nutritional science seems to be very flexible. And he said, it's 50% marketing, 40% voodoo science, and maybe 10% real science. And if you look back in, in, in how this science works, um, um, especially the last 30 years, he's somehow right. Yeah. So we have crazy low carb trends we have low fat trends we have high fat trends we have keto we have gluten-free in some cases also like vegan um and um, um, i have this nice nutritional book from the 80s and this guy recommended high carb very low fat very low protein i'm talking about like 0.3 grams of protein something like that and in this case it seemed to work yeah and he was working with high class athletes and they were very successful and some years later we have the complete opposite yeah low carb and and things like that so um we always have to be aware of um um what science is telling us and always looking back so we we always we are always even me uh, are always influenced by marketing huh? so but anyway um when I do these, uh, when we do these tests, the power tests, we have the VO2 max, we have the VLA max, and then we can calculate quite nicely. That fits also like um, uh, the numbers when you're doing a spiral test and how much grams of carbs and fats you need during different intensity during this kind of climate. Um, um, for example, 20 degrees, you need 50 grams of um, 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 carbs. Um, um, take that and then you have a good workout. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, this is, um, how it works. And also having always the drinking in mind, yeah, drink enough, having enough, um, um, electrolytes when you come from a very cold conditions or you have a, a drastic climate change, you, remember eating more uh, electrolytes until your body have adapted to that. Yeah. And, um, yeah these uh, these things but uh, the first thing always uh, eating enough carbs that are easy to digest during the workout yeah yeah what uh, what form of carbohydrate uh, would you recommend and what, what form of carbohydrates do your athletes typically consume when they're training yeah. um, very simple um, um so um always the de depending a little bit on the intensity and uh, the duration um but uh, um, um so to make it very easy, the harder the workout, the easier to digest um, the, the carbs should be. So most of my athlete, even if they go easy, they consume in a, in a liquid form. Huh? So they take, um, um, they, they buy 10 kilos of maltodextrin and some a little bit of fructose, and then they just uh, have their scale and uh, fueling the bottles. That's how it works. Yeah, very easy. Um, it's quite cheap. And uh, this is how they do it, yeah. So um, only uh, a little bit of maltodextrin and uh, fructose, always depending how good you tolerate that. 
the fructose. I personally, for my, uh, for example, uh, uh, I don't like uh, to 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 you know I'm not an athlete anymore, so I'm just riding for fun. Sometimes a little bit longer. Um, um, I just buy a package of Haribo's. I know how much uh, grams of carbs I need to during different uh, power outputs. And uh, if I say, okay, I go 220 watts, I need, I don't know, 40 grams. I just have my bag of Haribo's and I know, okay, I can go for five hours and uh, <laughs> I eat them. Yeah, And I always, I also go by feeling. Yeah? If I feel like, okay, and now I'm getting a little bit like having this feeling of dizziness and stuff like that i'm just eating a little bit more and then um, it works out quite fine but most of the times during easy rides um maltodextrine a uh, little bit of fructose and very very long sessions yeah for example um uh, when you go um uh, 12 hours or 18 hour rides yes i even train uh, these kind of crazy guys uh, who are doing race across america and uh, things like that um we start consuming um some protein uh, in, in a branch chain amino acids stuff like that to hit the daily protein intake because it, of course if you're riding 12 hours a day and they uh, do that. Um, 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 you can't hit the, the numbers with uh, protein uh, because you're sitting all day long on the bike. Huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's good. And just uh, to clarify for the listeners uh, that might not be aware, uh, the reason to buy melted extract and fructose separately is that it's just a lot cheaper yes. than than to buy a regular sports yes. drink or gels, which are essentially melted extract and fructose. Uh, most most of them anyway yeah. these days. So so that's a good a good option. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back a little bit to the amounts, uh, the Aerotune Power Test, I definitely recommend that uh, to, to anybody who is serious about their training and you get a nice table with anything from how much uh, you, carbohydrate and uh, fats you burn in 10 watt increments. You can look at 150, 160, 170, 260, 270, and so on and so forth and see exactly how much you burn. So that's that's very nice. Um but uh, but for those athletes, there might be athletes that that are maybe maybe not quite uh, quite as serious that they would do a test like that. Do you have any sort of general recommendations? We often hear about like thirty grams per hour is a kind of low intake, sixty grams, fifty or sixty as a moderate, or eighty to ninety as a high, or eighty to one hundred as a high intake. Do you, do you, can you give some rules of thumb for athletes that don't do the test, the yeah, testing yeah. to, to well, exactly see? Like easy ride two hours. Yeah. Easy ride two hours. It's like 40 grams. Yeah. It, it's, it's fine. Hmm. It works for most of the, the riders, uh, 40 to 50 grams. I, I, I'm always like a little bit more than too late, too little. Yeah. Um, if you, hmm. of course, if you are like 50, 50 kilos and uh, not fit, and you, of course, can sustain on a very easy ride with 30 grams, but maybe taking a little bit more. And so I, I would say like 40 grams, maybe 50 grams. If you go to the mountains and you're not well trained, <clears throat> um, I would go up to uh, 60, 70 grams. Yeah? Um, like a zone two tempo ride if you're going a little bit faster up the mountains. And always uh, try to hit the intake when you know okay now now there is a mountain um, in in 20 minutes try to eat a little bit more so that you have like an uh, easy diet to digest carbs uh, so that you have the the the, the hit and and blood sugar during that time when you're going up yeah. and um so and uh, if you go really hard in a race 90 grams um 
even more yeah if you can tolerate that 100 grams 120 grams and um, but uh, with 90 grams uh, i think uh, it's it's pretty good if you go long um um i would also say it depends on how fit you are uh, some athletes go with like uh, 50 grams and uh, it's no problem if they go five hours and but if you aren't fit and you go on a very long trip um, you know you you get fatigue maybe also to heat you lose uh, your vo2 max capacity and um, you should consume more yeah so um so to 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 put it to make it a little bit more easier easy rides to maybe two hours three hours 40 grams maybe 50 grams moderate hard rides a little bit more 60 grams if there are some mountains in it, maybe 70 grams. If you go very hard, very hard intervals, go 80, 90 grams in racing too. Yeah. It's also a nice way to, to train your digestive system. Yeah. yeah, great. And what what is the duration of a ride that you would generally say that uh, you don't need to fuel? Is it one hour or one hour 30? Or where, where is the... Yeah. the- cutoff point for yes. you um, um depending on how how well you you ate the days before uh, if you uh, <laughs> are totally underfueled for the the, the the last two days i would say you can go maybe 45 minutes and you, then you immediately bonk uh, we all know that um but uh, usually a, a, an easy recovery ride for a maybe um one uh, one and a half hours you can uh, you can do yeah, and uh, if you go one and a half hours and then start eating, it, it doesn't influence uh, or hardly influence the the the, the uh, oxidative um, of fats. So um, it, it, it's no problem to do that. Um, and uh, you can what you also can do is like um, uh, during and maybe zone one or even a zone two ride to empty the glycogen stores before a race, yeah, maybe two days before that, but not not longer than one and a half hours. Yeah, you should not be uh, bonking totally. But it always depends on how well you fueled during uh, the days before. Yeah, um, uh, mm. If you are totally fueled, um, uh, usually it's 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 no problem to go one and a half hours on a fast ride. But um, um, I. I don't do it too too often with my athletes, yeah, because they they have so high training volume, um, yeah, only to 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 maybe stimulate the the the, the rebound effect of glycogen storage store um, uh, before a race. Yes, mm. uh, is that do you ever do it? Can can we go into that a little bit yeah. deeper? Like when when you would prescribe fasted or low low glycogen. Mm-hmm training uh so before a race to empty the glycogen stores and then is the is the idea of that to then you get a rebound effect and can super compensate with uh, glycogen storage yes. yes yeah this is uh it's it's more like this old kind of um um it's it's an easier way to 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 like the, the saltian diet yeah um so it's it's not like the hardcore way to do that it's more like i, I like to do like a longer ride three days before the race on 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 a, not a, an, an fasted state but more like in a, a little um, um carb intake yeah? maybe 40 grams mm-hmm. and doing like a, a five hour ride you so you feel pretty weak after that and then you start eating like six grams per body weight maybe seven grams for the next three days and then you're um, 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 nicely fueled for the race um, so mm, yes um, how i do it and m- maybe also like for um 
sometimes I do it, but you have to be very careful with that um, um, to to have a nice impact on the um, um, Vila Max, yeah, lowering it to get a, a little bit more efficient on the the fat metabolism. Um, so doing it uh, for two or three weeks um, before a race, um, but really really careful um and only with very high uh Vila max riders and uh, because you don't want to sacrifice um, um you, the 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 um, um your digestive system especially um, um the 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 use of carbs yeah so suddenly yeah. you are only able to digest the uh, 70 grams per hour that would be a mess during a race yeah so yeah. you have to be careful with that and uh, maybe doing it like two or three times a week and it's not a nice training, yeah. So it's it's, uh, but it works sometimes quite fine with the riders, especially if they go on long distances. But um, yeah, yeah, be careful with that. I I hardly do that. Yeah, because uh, so mm, you okay. can do more harm than good. Yeah. I yeah. do it with myself. Yeah. So uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's. It's always good as a coach to to sometimes have yourself as yeah. a guinea pig to to try things out. Yeah. Um, and and then moving on to pre and post workout fueling, mm -hmm. uh, what, what are your thoughts around mm -hmm. that? So, um, mm, um, so the better the the the, the pre fueling is, and also the fueling during the workout, the less oh, I wouldn't say important the 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 the, the, the post fueling is, but. Uh, um, the you you can't make uh, you you limiting the the mistakes you can make after um, a, a workout especially in fueling so um my idea of a good workout fueling is always eating enough uh, um, before the workout to hit the numbers uh, eating enough during the workout to to have a good workout and eating enough to not come into that state of being crazy about food. Yeah? So getting home, ha haven't eaten enough during the race, uh, during the training and before the training, coming home and start eating everything you have in your, in, in, in your house, that would be not very clever. So um, um, you, you sh sh should come home with a good feeling and having your recovery shake, some carbs in that, I don't know, 60 grams of carbs, maybe 80 grams, depending on the intensity, um, some protein, um, 20 grams, I would recommend maybe 25 grams. And then this is the first thing you drink uh, after that. And then um, uh, you you start eating uh, normal, also easy to digest, also depending on how hard and how long the training was. And um, uh, then fuel again. And also uh, always keep in mind, how is the training for the next two or three weeks if you are like doing it kind of a block training um you know okay you are like in the state of um i don't know maybe ftp work and you know you you are using a lot of carbs you should uh, um, fuel yourself with easy to digest carbs and um and so that you can hit the numbers the next days if you're like in the base training stuff and um, um building a nice foundation for example for six weeks you know okay can i i, I have an uh, a nice um, 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 content of high fibers and um, uh, the carb intake is of course important, but not so important. And um, so always look at the, the training that comes next. Uh, it's not always uh, like the day. And um, um, it's always looking like, a, I love to look like and more like 
bigger um um yeah in a bigger perspective of what we hit the next next weeks what kind of training yeah, to get a good quality for the next three weeks so and um also here um, um, um the pre-workout i love to to develop some kind of habits um so um when we do hard workouts um uh, i like to implement um a breakfast for example with a very low fiber content um and maybe doing that for three or five days to get used to these kind of nutrition um uh, that we that we have the same nutrition on on race days for example so, yeah so we we cut out uh, or we try to cut out most of the fibers during these days and um 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 when to eat yeah so we have a, a, a schedule like 3 hours before um the the training or the racing we eating uh, low fiber some rice maybe mixed up with um a little, little bit of mct oil making that cool overnight um to to have like a different structure and starch and um, putting some i don't know um, jam on it and then eating it three hours before and um and then go uh, training and after training also like um hitting the the right amount of of, of protein um so over the over the day like a two grams of protein a day um for uh, body weight and um so this is like implementing habits of different um um <clears throat> situations yeah and try to simulate uh, sometimes simulate these um, kind of fueling strategies uh, pre and post to 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 get a feeling on how to use it during race days and race weeks yeah yeah it was a lot that's a kind of mix up sorry for that <laughs> no 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 that that was that was a great uh, a great rundown uh, of uh, of a lot of things but very clear mm -hmm. uh, so so i think that's about it let's start to wrap up if you just want uh, could leave uh, one sort of final take home message summarize or not summarize but just give give one or two important things to remember from from all of this that you think is the most important yeah. for the listeners yeah. to remember. Um, always eat cups uh, or most of the time eat cups during training this is really the 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 eye opener for most of the athletes. Uh, and um, if you feel weak and you want to hit numbers and uh, you, you really feel kind of dizzy, it's most of the time because you are underfueling. And a training, and this is a, the next thing, and this is maybe because <laughs> why low carbs things uh, become uh, also quite popular. Some people, or a lot, no, not some, uh, to be honest, uh, a lot of endurance athletes like the feeling of being beaten down so and you 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 can really hurt yourself a lot with low carb training and you have this nice feeling of like totally being totally empty and laying on the couch but it, it, training doesn't have to be like that you can also feel good and refreshed after a training this is this doesn't mean that the training was not effective so always keep that in mind yeah if you feel good and even feel good and, and not being too super tired after a training. The training can be very good. And always looking at the bigger yeah. perspective. If you do like a three weeks block of hard training and you feel after the first day or the second day of training, you already feel totally uh, done, then you have done something wrong. Because even uh, if you start the second week, you will not hit the numbers anymore or you will have, you will hit completely uh, different systems and maybe lowering your VLMX instead of uh, raising your VO2 max. So training doesn't yeah. have to feel awful <laughs> if you eat enough. I, 
I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, totally agree with you on both of those points. Yeah. Uh, this has been great, Bjorn. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your vacation. Uh, I'll let you go back now and uh, enjoy Croatia and uh, Slovenia. Uh, it must be amazing over there. Hope you get in some some nice rides yes. as well and can, can enjoy the countries in that way. Okay. Perfect. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Bjorn. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, and finally, let's get into my personal uh, opinions, my rapid-fire overview on how I think about workout fueling. Uh, so I think that the fitter you are and the more you train overall, the more important workout fueling becomes. Uh, it's not uh, just a function of uh, any individual workout. It's a function of the sum of all of your workouts and uh, basically the kilojoules that you expend over a period of weeks and months. And for very fit athletes that train at a high volume, you may need to fuel also very short workouts, just one hour easy rides, just because you might have two more workouts in the day. So fueling really is a function of duration and intensity, yes, but also of your overall fitness, your overall power output and energy expenditure and the training volume. So for how long are you outputting that sort of expenditure? As a general rule of thumb that uh, applies to, I would say, most about anybody, or let's put it this way, if I don't know anything about an athlete, then my general recommendation would be to fuel workouts that are 90 minutes or longer, regardless of intensity. And if a workout has a lot of intensity in it, uh, in particular at or above threshold, then I would say to start fueling workouts that are shorter than that, maybe around one hour. As for what to consume, I think that uh, workouts that are somewhat long and also intense, for those kinds of workouts, you want to be able to use uh, what you consume in that same workout. So that means go for sources of carbohydrate that are quickly absorbed, like gels or sports drinks, or as Björn mentioned, the best option if you don't want to spend a fortune on gels, buy maltodextrin and fructose in bulk and make your own drink mix from that. Works great and is cheap. Depending on the duration of your workout and your sweat sodium concentration, you might also need to add electrolytes in there. I would personally definitely need to do that. For workouts that are not intense, I'm definitely never against fueling with, again, sports nutrition products or a maltodextrin mix. But you do also have the option for these kinds of workouts of using whole foods like bananas, rice cakes, and so on that has been mentioned in the, the interviews that we just heard. Because in those kinds of workouts, we're not really concerned about necessarily having to use the energy immediately in this workout. But we're simply making sure that you'll uh, start to replenish your glycogen while you're already already exercising so that you don't deplete yourself and so that you can arrive at your next workout without being depleted, put simply. So we're preparing for the next, next workout as much as, as having that energy be used in the workout that you're currently in when we're talking about these lower intensity workouts. For workouts that are short and intense, uh, I do think that it makes sense to use faster acting fuels uh, because you might actually run your glycogen stores really low even in a short amount of time if the intensity is high enough. So those exogenous carbohydrates, whether they are maltodextrin, gels, whatever it is, they will be used and useful in, in a workout like that even if it's an hour or so. so. So that would be my recommendation for short and intense workouts. And uh, regarding uh, training low, training on low glycogen, fasted training, I have experimented with this uh, quite a bit myself uh, as an athlete and with uh, quite a few other co athletes that I coach as well. Uh, I 
wouldn't say that it doesn't work, but I have found it to be neutral, sometimes negative uh, more frequently than, than I find it to be positive in the cohort where, where I've attempted it. So again, it's not that it doesn't work. Uh, it clearly can work, but it's also a bit about what other training or performance in training that you have to give up to do that type of training. Uh, so it's a, it's an opportunity cost, put simply. So these days, um, I'm not really using it much. Uh, I'll try it with an athlete every once in a while, but that's with an experimenting mindset, seeing whether we get a, an incredible response from it. But I don't necessarily expect it to work. I expect it to only occasionally work well and then we can keep doing it but 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 it's it's usually just a bit of an experiment and, and it's not something that i will do with with many athletes these days to be honest uh absolutely not categorically against it but it's just that compared to other tools in the toolbox uh, i found i find that yeah I, I prefer using some other tools and tend to gravitate towards those and away from using uh using a lot of fasted training or training in a state of low glycogen so that wasn't necessarily super rapid fire but i hope that it gave you a good overview of my personal thinking on the topic and i hope that you enjoyed this episode and the episode format as a whole and i'm very keen to get your feedback on it so do email me and let me know what you think as always you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com and links to all of the uh, episodes that i've done previously individually with each of the coaches we heard from today so uh, check that out and uh, as I mentioned, uh, when we, I introduced Frank, we are working on a training camp together. So as, as you've heard already on the podcast, uh, our scientific triathlon training camp will be on the 27th of March to the 1st of April 2022 in Mallorca. And uh, Frank and Kaisa, his wife, uh, are helping us. They are our local partners and uh, they are really knowledgeable in training camps and the logistics of things, have great partners with the hotels and, and everything there. So, so we will have a really, really good training camp with the help of Frank and Kaisa. And uh, of course, their coaching knowledge as well will be super, super valuable for for all of us to to lean into so i hope that uh, i'll see as many of you as possible there go and check out more information about the camp on scientifictriathlon.com and register your interest if that sounds like it might be a good thing for you uh, next monday i interview coach and researcher mehdi cordy uh, about actually track cycling and track, track sprinting so a bit of a different topic but very very interesting and uh, i have to say it has been a long time since i learned so many new things uh, as i did when interviewing mehdi uh, just because i was completely clueless about uh, how track cyclists train and, and things like that but that was super fun and i hope that you will enjoy that as well we also have some research topics mehdi has done some some research studies that we talk about and we'll go into that in a bit more detail next monday Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and take their free online sweat test and get a personalized hydration strategy for next race and get 15% off your first order with the promo code thattriathlonshow15 on precisionhydration.com. And thank you to Sen8. Use the Sen8 swim trainer to improve your technique, power and stamina and increase your swim stimulus frequency even when you can't go to the pool or open water. Get 20% off your order on the Swim Trainer with the promo code that you can get on senateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.